0: Let me tell you about that piece of shit you're covering for. You think he'll give you love for this, get yourself some protection, right? Samson's a stone-cold killer who could give a
1: fuck about you. Every time I log into Skype, I've got people, tr- some like spam chicks, trying to talk to me or something. Yeah, I had some chick today too, Princess Abu. Oh, I didn't have Princess Abu. Oh, that's too bad, man. She did a winky at me and everything. I was so in. I was. Oh, like, I got oh. a wink too. I was like, "Oh, Princess Abu, what you doing? You're pretty <laughs> sly." <laughs> Wonder who my <laughs> wink was from. Prince, Prince, Princess Abu too. Yeah, the sequel. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 134 of GBW Podcast My name is Chris, with me, and not with me, at the same time, is Josh Oh, it's How's so it sad yeah, I Good. know, eventually we'll be able to be in the same room together Eventually,
0: eventually. don't when
1: And then we'll have the triumphant return of topics Yeah, but,
0: well, we might even do that before maybe, we'll see
1: We'll, we'll see, but this episode, yet again, will be just us talking about all the things we've been watching since last episode. So uh, we've got a lot this time, don't we? We do. Wow, and we even gave ourselves homework this time. Yeah. Oh, and I just heard a beer can a beer cap coming off. That's so, me. So let's talk. Let's talk about our homework that we did this time. And uh, how do we begin? Well, first we we'll well, begin was a, with
0: there was a user request, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. A listener had mentioned a movie to us and said, "You guys might like this, so why don't you check it out?" And uh, I had a copy of it, and then I came across a copy at a thrift store for like a dollar. So I was like, "Oh, perfect!" So bought yeah. it. For, bought it for Josh, and uh, we decided we'd watch it for this episode. And it's a movie from 2008 called Felon, as uh, as suggested by listener Adam. Yeah. So, let's talk about felon. Um, All right. The f- first thing I'm going to throw out is that I-, I found the guy who made this uh, Rick Roman Wog. I found his backstory pretty interesting, in the fact that um, he was a he was a stuntman. Yep. Prior to the, prior to becoming a director, and you know we have a great respect for stuntmen on this on this show, um, and then. I also found it funny that the first movie he directed was a movie called Exit, starring one of our favorites, Shannon Worry. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So he directed that movie, but he put the Alan Smithy name on it. Oh. Which is the famous pseudonym people use when they don't want people to know they made the movie.
0: God, if I directed a Shannon Worry movie, I'd have my name (laughs) all over it. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, so would Gregory Dark. But... We're going to I got to look for this movie on like Tubi or something now, because I got to see what would possess you to take your name off of a Shannon Worry movie. Exactly. Like, really. like, yeah. why, be, why be ashamed of the late 90s, man? It happened. It just <laughs> happened. Um, and then uh, since since this movie, he's done a bunch of stuff. Um, most recently he did Angel Has Fallen, which yeah. is the I think the third part of that series with Gerard Butler as like the super secret service guy who protects the president. I think there's been two other movies prior to that. London has fallen. Oh, right. uh, Olympus has fallen. Olympus has fallen. Yeah. So uh, poor bastard had to direct Gerard Butler in a movie. So, (laughs) you know, kudos to you for that. Um, So let's talk about felon though. And uh, it's a movie that I have very mixed feelings on. I don't know how you felt, but I'm very mixed feelings on this because after seeing Brawl and Cell Block 99, it's kind of hard for me to judge these movies <laughs> anymore, to be honest with you. These ones, really? that are, yeah, like they're it was uh. these ones that are trying to be like dramatic. I have I have a harder time with them now that I've seen Cell Block, admittedly. So See, I didn't
0: even feel like I when I think of Cell Block, I don't even think of it as a prison movie, really.
1: Well, I guess, yeah, it, it is,
0: though. <laughs> it it is, is, but it's not It's not like prison life. It's more like destroying everything in a prison.
1: Well, I guess, I guess. But um, so let, let's talk a little bit briefly about the plot, which is um, the star Steven Dorff, who I have kind of a hit or miss relationship with when it comes to his uh, filmography, admittedly, although he was in The Gate. <laughs> when he was a young kid, so I'll give him that much. I mean, I, I think I talk- he picks pretty good stuff usually. Oh, not that Deuce is wild, but I like Deuce's likes- wild. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I didn't. So yeah. that's that's the thing. So in this, he plays Wade, who's just this regular guy who he's got a he's got a wife, he's got a young kid, and he's got this fledgling construction business, and things seem to be on the up and up for him. And one day, that one night, someone breaks into the house, and he ends up accidentally killing the guy during this break-in. And uh, so from here, he's thrown into the wild world of prison because he's brought up on murder charges, and he is sent to the clink, basically. And then it just kind of follows him, and then it follows um, Val Kilmer as this hardened prisoner called uh, John Smith, who is being transferred to the uh same penitentiary that dorf's wait is in but he's given a scene early on where he kind of causes a prison riot Mm-hmm. and i was like man val kilmer's pretty fucking badass in this movie yeah and then he disappears for 40 minutes or whatever it is He did, yeah so i was like oh man i've never seen val kilmer be this cool <laughs> So i was like oh i hope he's in this a lot and then nope disappears and then it also follows um this african-american prison like head prison guard played by uh, harold Perrineau, who's a very well-known character actor and it's TD just hunter no. yeah he's he like in lost and uh Oz mainly yeah there he's is, been because. in a bunch of movies too but uh yeah. he's kind of just it just kind of focuses on him as the head guard and how he deals with the prisoners and you know and how his story goes by the end of the movie so like so far so good right like yeah. i was I'm into this for the first half an hour or so. I'm like, whoa, this is pretty good. Like, this is working. And, um, you know, I thought the that things were pretty tensely paced at first. And I actually felt like, you know, that Dorf was in danger and that Parano seemed to be an okay, like harsh, but okay kind of guy. And I'm just like, this is pretty good. Like, the way this is staged is pretty good. And at the same time, I'm like I've never seen the 2000 movie Animal Factory, but I feel like it's very similar to what I'm seeing in Felon. I don't. Have yeah. you seen Animal Factory? Yeah,
0: I don't recall it at all, but I have seen it. Yeah.
1: But it seems similar. It seems kind of similar to me, premise wise, where it's the the hardened criminal takes the like fresh meat under his mentorship to help him survive prison, basically, which is kind of what this is about. But um. I thought the tone was bleak. I thought that, uh, Kilmer was pretty imposing when he was in the actual movie. Like, yeah. I thought he was the best thing in this by far.
0: Oh, is like, one of his best roles
1: for sure. Yeah, like, like I thought he was top notch in this movie, you know? And, and like, and this is coming from the stage of his career where he's kind of become, you know, poked fun at for being in these direct to video movies. Like, Probably from like the 2000s on, he's kind of been like not taken that seriously. I don't think well, feel... he got
0: such a bad reputation for being difficult to work with, yeah. Um, that he, I think he kind of blacklisted himself, but um, yeah, he really kind of gave his all in this. I thought,
1: yeah, I just feel like he, he anchors this movie like more than anything. Like, even when I was. In the second half, when I started getting irritated a little bit with this movie, I was like, "Okay, Kilmer's anchoring this movie; he's keeping this going, right?" Yeah. Because the stuff with Dorf—I'm like, Stephen Dorf, i am like, like, he's okay, but I just, I just didn't like his character arc that much. I don't feel like I feel like his, um, his like how his character changed was too unrealistic. Like, I don't know if you agree with that, but I just thought it was too unrealistic for my liking.
0: No, I don't agree with that. Okay. I, I was so into this movie. Like, I loved it. Like, and I thought he, I was just so, like, mortified by the whole situation. And I thought he really delivered on kind of what it would be like to be kind of put into this situation because of a faulty legal system and having to adapt and survive in that world yeah I, I i thought it was really well done i thought he was i thought he was ac- excellent actually i thought everyone actually was pretty great in this movie i mean there were a few things that were a little um like stretchy as far as like logic went but mm-hmm. uh, but i mean it was also trying to clip along uh all this stuff into 90 minutes which i thought was a lot to unpack, like, what they were trying to do with the film. Yeah. So, um, but I thought I, I had no problems with any of the actors, to be
1: honest. Yeah, no, no, I th- I, like I said, I thought the performances were solid all the way through, too. Like, I I don't have an issue with Dorf. I just didn't think his character arc was, you know, and maybe it is the fact that it was a truncated running time. I just felt how he went from being, like, kind of meek and then in the span of two months just strutting around with all the white supremacists just you know like just being a total badass i was like i didn't really buy into that as much as i felt like i should have Mm -hmm. and and that was the thing my my main issue with this movie has nothing to do with the actual like str like the the setup or anything because i'm like i thought uh the director writer director wog he actually did a really good job of showing you that prison fucking sucks and you don't want to go there. Like I thought that was done good, but I just felt that the, the movie kind of um, broke down into countless tiring yard fights, basically. Like I felt yeah. like the whole second half of the movie was just, Oh, we're going to yard door open. Someone charges in, beats the shit out of everybody. Get shot with like a, a you know, a, a sandbag or whatever. Rinse, repeat. Five minutes later, someone's running in the yard, beating the shit out of someone, rinse, repeat. And that got tiring. Like, I got tired of that shit by the end of the movie. Like It's like those hallways I hate in these kind of movies where people are always (laughs) fighting each other in the hallways. I'm like, come on, man. Like, they got to do something different in the yard than just the minute they get there, they're just beating each other up. I'm like, no. Like, that that was my main issue with this movie that I didn't feel that... I felt that it, it told all its story in the first half, and then didn't quite know where to go in the second half, I think. like,
0: Yeah, I mean, well, okay. So, okay, so let's... <laughs> the, 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 the story, the, the movie's kind of based loosely around like true happenings at Corcoran State Prison in California. And there were all these, there was a number of cases of human rights violations where... Prison guards were basically killing inmates for no reason, and they had, I think, the highest death rate of inmates from prison guards at that prison. And there was also this um, allegations that the prison guards were basically staging fights between prisoners and then ending up killing Mm -hmm. one of them with the gun. So, I I mean, I like this movie a lot, but I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I do agree that I think part of my issue with this was too much content in one film yeah like i felt like they were the first you're right the first 45 minutes was establishing dorf's plight and like this kind of guy who is somewhat wrongfully accused entering ending up in a situation that he totally can't handle which i loved and then it just and then it then the focus kind of changes to this prison corruption thing yeah and i almost felt i almost wish they had just I wish that had been a bit more side, like it almost took over. Well, it did. Well, it, it took did, over yeah. the plot and it went, it almost, it almost even made Dorf's character secondary. And it, it kind of was following Dorf for the first th- hour. And then all of a sudden it kind of started switching over to Perino, And, yeah. uh, I didn't, I, I kind of wish they had just stayed with Dorf the whole, I mean, he was in it the whole time, yeah. but I just felt like the focus, moved for some reason and i i and i felt it kind of took away from both sides like this could have almost been two movies right
1: well i mean that's you're 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 completely nailing exactly what my issue with it is yeah is that you did such a good job of having dwarf's character like having you feel for him as a character like that he's in this plight it's a terrible plight you would never want to be in it and how is he going to survive it and then, you know, you get to a point with his character where now he's just running into the yard and beating everybody up, and then you do shift the focus onto the prison guard angle of it and the corruption angle of it. And it's like everything before that didn't really matter in yeah. some ways.
0: Yeah. And that's I agree. my main
1: issue here. Like I heard I see that the the director made another movie in twenty seventeen called Shot Caller, which is apparently supposed to be very similar. In in plot, but from what I've read from people who have seen this and seen Shot Caller, Shot Caller is a much better established telling of the same story. And it's also a two-hour movie. So... So
0: I've reviewed Shot Caller earlier this year, Yeah, and I, I think I've probably given it my highest recommendation of anything this year so far. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I did talk about it at length, mm-hmm. and uh, well, first of all, Shot Caller and this, I mean, yes, I, you're right, I was thinking of them, I'm, I was actually shocked when I found out that there was the same director, because I right. did feel like they were both two of the best prison movies I've seen in a long time. Um, it would they they would make an excellent double feature for sure. Um, Shot caller stars the guy from uh, the kind of I don't know, I, I haven't seen a lot of Game of Thrones, but he's I think he he played Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. But um, I felt like Shot Caller was a bit of a tougher movie in a way, and um, a, it was better. I mean, you can definitely see that this director has you know um, ripened with uh, experience. Mm-hmm. um but it was different in that um it wasn't like that guy in in shot color he well, again it was a very fast rise of the ranks but it wasn't he was basically rose to power and um and he was became like kind of a became like the val kilmer character like mm-hmm. he was kind of like ran the show and it will, also that whole movie did not take place in the prison there was a lot of it was outside of the prison like prison was a big part of the movie but it wasn't the whole movie but uh, it's a better movie but um they're both awesome i mean i think i think that that one and this one are you know up there with my favorite prison movies to be to be honest um you might there was a lot of great um like like aside from Kilmer and Dorf and Perino, Marisol Nichols, um, Mary Sol Nichols story um, played uh, Dorf's wife. Um, you might recognize her as Veronica's mom in Riverdale, mm-hmm. but I thought she really delivered kind of the, um, you know, what a wife or a, a girlfriend would be going through, especially when things keep going sideways for their uh, for their uh, loved one um johnny lewis played snowman and yeah he he was was, good yeah he was really good and that that kid was a really good actor and um i i first found out about him on sons of anarchy and i don't know if you know the story behind johnny lewis but he died very very young he got into a motorcycle accident and um it affected his brain and then he ended up murdering his uh landlady and uh either committing suicide or falling to his death off a porch um and he had drug problems but a, yeah. a very very tragic story
1: yeah no uh, I, I, I read
0: about it he was really good he was really good in this too as was nate parker and he was the uh the the kind of rookie prison guard that we were following oh, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. yet another story we could have seen right um and he was again i seen him recently in tunnel Rats, which he was really great in and then um as i talked about when i t- watched. Well, sh- uh, reviewed that movie he went on to direct and and star and write uh, that birth of a nation movie that had a lot of buzz a few years ago uh, but he was excellent as well as the the prison guard who is uh you know trying to learn the ropes and trying to fit in but not necessarily agreeing with what's going on um and also you know you had sam shepherd in this and that guy always shows up in a movie and just mm-hmm. uh elevates everything yeah um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the story behind this was really interesting. Um, I wasn't aware of of all that has happened, and I guess when you make a movie that you're trying to build awareness and you're you're able to get someone to go and research it a little bit, you're successful. Um, I mean, it's it was pretty crazy what was happening in this movie, and to find out that it was real was pretty nuts. Um, But yeah, like you said, I I wish the only my only wish is that they had just kind of stuck with the one story and give it that full attention instead of kind of getting overwhelmed with this other stuff.
1: Yeah, like I didn't dislike it. Don't get me wrong. I just was hoping for I think I was hoping for more out of that first half, because like I said before, it just (laughs) felt like it had it broke down into shaky camera. Tight close-up fist fights for the last half of it, and I eventually got to a point where I was just so tired of seeing that. So I mean, like, and you're right, there was too much attempts to throw plot into this. Like, it sh- it probably would be served better with like a longer running time, maybe mm-hmm. with with a with a more of a uh, expanded focus, yeah, th- than um, we got here. But I mean, it does make me want to go and watch Shot Caller. Yeah, Shot Caller is so
0: fucking good, man. Like, uh, and I noticed it just popped up on Netflix again.
1: Yeah, and I think it's on Prime too. Yeah, it's
0: so so good. But um, I loved Shot Caller, and um, yeah, I would watch Felon first, then Shot Caller. I mean, the other thing I that I the other kind of negative about Felon was, again, back to Parano's character. Um, you know, I, I was kind of interested in him. For, again for the first 45 minutes mm-hmm. and then he just sort of became the stock villain out of nowhere and i was like like i and i also didn't really get and i maybe you did but i didn't really get what they they were getting out of it like like they were you know the prison guards were doing bad shit but i didn't really understand what why? Like, what were they getting out of it? And it was kind of implied that they were benefiting somehow. Yeah. But I never really understood what it was and what the stakes were and why Perino's character was doing what he was doing. And it was really against kind of how we were introduced to the character. And I I mean, I I don't, I'm, I guess that was intentional. But um, it just kind of made me be like, well, why did you kind of set this character up? So I kind of cared about him only to make him into this kind of like, Typical action movie baddie.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, because they had spent time early in the movie establishing all those scenes with him and his younger son, you know, yep. when he drives him to school and he's she's scared to get out of the car because he's afraid he's going to get bullied by one of his classmates. And he says, yeah. gives him this speech, like, don't worry about it, whatever. And you're like, OK, he seems like an OK guy who's just really when he's at work, he's, you know, authoritarian, like a freaking head guard supposed to be. Yeah. And then you're right, he did become pretty much the kind of villain you'd see in a, in like a movie like Death Warrant, like the Van Damme prison movie.
0: Yeah, like exactly.
1: He was, he was just like, kind of, his shift was also, and and you're right, they didn't really explain what he was getting out of it, particularly. Yeah, Like, they made him into such a stock villain, it felt like all he was getting out of it was the thrill of seeing people kill each other. Yeah. and And that doesn't ring true with how they had his character earlier in the movie either so there was a lot of conflicting emotions going through me during this movie as you as you can tell because that first 45 minutes i'm like this is rad i'm i'm really into this and then just the shift i was like i'm not so okay with this anymore i mean i still would recommend you check it out if you like these actors or you want a prison movie that isn't a van damme prison movie or a seagal prison movie yeah this will deliver some some decent stuff but just be aware that in the second half it's going to be a little bit more rougher going i think agreed yeah like like for me personally it was a lot rougher that second half that i was just kind of like by the end of it i was kind of like yeah kind of you could have had you could have had like you could have had it but you kind of didn't for me so it's unfortunate but i mean you you liked it a lot more than me and so you know i think we'd both recommend it
0: we both recommend it, Night, I'd recommend a double feature with Shot Collar. I mean, but and then you should totally check that one out. You know, I, I talked about it earlier, but again, yeah. uh, what a great flick that was.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look at it because now I'm like, I was already kind of interested in Shot Collar, but then to see that this guy made this movie and reading stuff on Letterboxd saying, like, people saying, you know, he made this these two movies and they're very similar, but this one's way more established, I'm like, okay. So maybe he can take the story he's telling in Felon, use that uh, nine to ten years in between yeah. where he's made a few movies and learnt the trade a bit more and uh, deliver what he was trying to do with this. Yeah, like you, you never know. So I'll have to I'll have to check it out in the next little bit here, too. Yeah, do it. It's great. OK, so that's uh, 2008's Felon, a uh, solid recommend from us, I think yeah for sure yeah so what do you got now all right boy i have a lot this time Um, yeah more than me which is back to normal (laughs) (laughs) okay let's
0: talk about um okay let's talk about a tv movie i watched (laughs) a two-part three-hour plus tv movie what are you doing man
1: first lou gossett now this (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so this is a movie from Warner Archive called the night the Bridge Fell down
1: oh you bought this
0: I did and I was pretty stoked when I heard about the premise so I uh, I did take the plunge to buy it and obviously I was stoked enough to spend three hours of my life watching it but it didn't quite it wasn't quite the premise I had was promised anyway this is from 1983 directed by uh, George Fennedy, who did another extremely long thing tv movie called hanging by a thread um which you know was kind of similar it's kind of like an in irwin well this i think this is produced by irwin allen yeah. but it's kind of like that disaster movie setting a bunch of people like a bunch of actors an ensemble piece put in a precarious situation and in this one um the situation is it's a long bridge like dispense um, like that's you know driven on by traffic and by commuters and um, they discover that there's a joint on the bridge that's causing car accidents so you know those like pieces of the bridge that go together that you like that you bump over when you're driving over the bridge
1: mm-hmm.
0: well one of them like it's kind of split so it's like half of it sort sort of elevates from time to time so a car hits it and then it spirals out of control and causes an accident so this happens at the very beginning. There's an accident on because the joint like shifts for whatever <laughs> unknown reason it shifts. <laughs> um, so an accident happens and then they call in this uh, engineer named Cal played by James MacArthur and you and your survival movie um Fetish might know him as the <laughs> eldest eldest brother in uh Swiss family Robinson. Survival
1: movie <laughs> Fetish.
0: <laughs> and he was also in uh the Disney's version of Kidnapped, uh okay. the Robert Lewis Stevenson movie. Um but anyway, he's all grown up now, and uh, he's the engineer who um you know, I mean normally you think of an engineer, you think of some um, you know, kind of nerdy guy who's probably sitting in an office looking at graphs. But nope, not in an Irwin Allen 1983 disaster
1: movie. Or if you he's, think of that guy from Skyway to Death or whatever it was called. That, oh, yeah, yeah. That bomber-looking guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, man.
0: So Cal's called out to the bridge and sort of checks out because there was another accident. he looks at the, you know, joints and he's like, oh, something's happening. And there's a there's been a shift in the... I don't know what, Ties like, like the earth or whatever, <laughs> yeah, and um, it's causing the the bridge is unstable and it's gonna collapse, and so he's like raising the alarm, goes to tell his boss Meach played by Philip baker hall famous from uh, paul thomas anderson movies particularly hard eight uh to, goes to tell mitch who was very young at the time I, I have to do a double take tells him that the bridge is falling apart and of course mitch is like the mayor and johns he's like no 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 it's fine it's fine and um of course what what else happens um the same night um because this is a disaster movie uh, well we have eve plum who's a nun who's deciding that she's going to leave her boyfriend, who's a cop named Harvey. Uh, She's going to leave him and join the nunnery. But, um, of course, she has to take a child on a drive somewhere and, of course, has to go over the bridge to get
1: to the place. I I thought for sure the child would be like getting transported to sick kids hospital
0: no, not quite not quite but we do have leslie nielsen also involved oh jeez. at his at his kind of like scummy best and leslie nielsen's either great at being funny or he's great at being a scumbag like in yeah. creep uh but in this one he's pulling a scam with some bonds and uh I guess he's convinced the secretary at, at the bond company he works at to like steal these bonds so that the two of them can run off together and make a bunch of money. So he he he's going over the bridge and is um, and the girl with the bonds is also driving over the bridge. And meanwhile, Leslie Nielsen also has his sick baby with him. Um, and they're <laughs> they're they're all but they're trying to all get across the bridge so they can do pull this bond scam. <laughs> meanwhile. We also have Diego a um you know the token um, um, Hispanic character played by Gregory Sierra um, and he's like this this you know of course he's because he's um Spanish he's of course the blue collar guy who um, is a painter so he's there just for moral support and then we've got um uh desi arnaz jr uh, of course lucio ball and desi arnaz's son who um didn't really became and become much of an actor he you know was more known for scandals for like being dating patty duke when he was 17 years old and she was 23 and then going on to date liza minnelli and you know he he was known for a lot of scram- scandals but in this movie he played a Bank robber, so he pulls a bank robbery at the beginning that I thought was pretty cool, and he was a pretty uh, a brazen bank robber and pretty charming, and I actually was pretty into his character. Uh, but of course, he's with his girlfriend that he's gonna because he's taking her on a, on a trip to Mexico, but she doesn't know that he's actually a bank robber. She thinks he's just this charming guy who's taking him taking her away, so she's in the dark about all this. So he robs a couple banks and then he takes off to go across the bridge as well to us to escape Um, and meanwhile the cop that um, eve plum was leaving is in pursuit and then of course as they are all converging on the center of the bridge what happens the bridge starts to collapse (laughs) so they're all stuck now the bridge collapses on both sides of them so they're kind of stuck on this piece of concrete in the center of the bridge that's like Basically hanging in midair with all the um gir- um you know the steel girt girding. Like girders. Girders, yeah, all underneath. And they're stuck on this bridge and they're trying to figure out how to get off. The cops have now landed on both sides and they're trying to figure out how to rescue them. And of course, Cal the engineer is orchestrating this whole thing. So they're trying all kinds of things. You know, first they try shooting like lines over, and that doesn't work. And then Cal tries to climb up from the bottom, but of course, like up the girders. But of course, um, Desi Arnaz is like trying to escape. Um, escape from being caught so he's like shooting at them as they're like trying to come up to save them and he's also like basically holding the people on the bridge hostage okay so um you know it's these movies are so convenient and it's always everyone in these movies has like this weird backstory all the time and it always it's always all these people that you know have all this stuff that happened that just happened to be in the same place at the same time and this you know took a long time right i mean there was so much talking and so much stuff going on desi arnaz like must have climbed down and back up like five times during the movie climbed down tried to do something came to a dead end climbed back up yelled at everyone for a while then climbed back down again climb back up and then um you know the last hour of this is basically the remaining survivors trying to like figure out how to get down off the bridge Um, there's also scenes of like you know the cops of or the rescue crew is like sent over like a um you know like a pulley line where like you know one person sits in a chair and then they gets pulled across the expanse Mm -hmm. between like the land and the bridge piece and of course it's bouncing and shaking the bridge is shaking all the time because i guess these weird like it's because it whenever it rumbles it's like an earthquake happening and and um to you know bump up the suspense diego the gardener is you know trying to like support everyone he's like the nice guy (laughs) of Uh, course yeah someone gets shot some people fall off leslie Nielsen's running around being like a slime ball um you know some people are too scared to like go down the bridge so it's got all the trappings of a typical irwin allen movie which i love all of them now because i love all of them this actually held my attention for the three hour running time I did watch it over two nights like you would have back when yeah. back in the day um, I think it was too much for one sitting but I think if you watch it over two nights I actually thought it was pretty fun um, I, I'm, I'm very much in the minority on this I think a lot of people found this excruciatingly boring and long <laughs> um, but I love this kind of stuff and I love like these early 80s ensemble pieces no matter how terrible they are um, I do tend to like all of them i mean skyway to death was kind of on another level of bad but for the most part i'm going to be into movies like this um it had really cool effects um you know miniature effects which these movies were kind of known for so i liked all that i just wish there was maybe a little bit more disaster stuff going on because once the initial collapse happened it was it, it wasn't like you know, like a movie like Earthquake, which, you know, for me is kind of like the golden standard and Poseidon Adventure, of course. But there's a lot of threats going on, both from people and from you know circumstances throughout those movies that's different like in Poseidon adventure sometimes there's fire sometimes they have to go through a yeah. you know a piece uh, go underwater for like the time that they might not survive in earthquake you know we have aftershocks we have you know building fall and we have marjo gortner running around as a crazy you know police or a military dude but this one it was pretty much the whole the whole movie was basically Desi Arnaz being sort of threatening but never really doing anything, and then them either them having to figure out how to climb down, which took a long time. But I still liked it quite a bit. This movie kind of bombed. It was um, made a few years earlier. It was shelved, and then it had the unfortunate task of being uh, aired on the same night as the final episode of Mash.
1: Oh, geez. So, <laughs> Yeah. See you later.
0: <laughs> that, that's why no one knows about this movie, uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm still very pleased that Warner Archive has put something like this out, and I, I did enjoy it. But, um, but I think it is definitely, if you're really into disaster movies like I am, you probably will as well. But if you're kind of on the fence on this, I think it's. Um, it's a pretty demanding ask to uh sit, sit with these characters for as long as this, this running time is but if you know what i'm talking about and you like these kind of things you're gonna probably dig this but uh but this average viewer might be bored to tears so
1: so i have two statements and one question here's okay. my first statement did the guy who designed this fucking bridge get fired because he goddamn should have been and well he sex- was he was trying to warn
0: but actually i did think of that as well like i was like what the hell like why how is this bridge so poorly designed and how the fuck did it fall apart so quickly
1: like it was so fast right like <laughs> if that happened in vancouver where we have like a bunch of bridges holy shit but yeah My second statement is, it's more of a a question statement. So you said Desi Arnaz Jr. keeps climbing up and down these girders to check out the structure, integrity. And then he'd come back down and yell at everyone. I just picture him climbing up and coming back down and be like, oh, it's so ridiculous. And doing his dad's like an imitation of his dad (laughs) coming down and having his freak out. Hey, Lucy, the bridge is falling. You know, something like that. And, um, <laughs> no, it was actually pretty
0: cool in this. Like, I thought he was cool. Like, he kind of looked like a young Robert Carradine in a way, oh, okay. but I thought he was, um, I thought he was pretty cool, like, as especially the bank robbery scene. I thought it was really, hmm. he was a real, like, one of those real charming types, but then he just got really annoying like as he kept like threatening everyone and wanting to be off first and climbing up and down oh my god but you know i mean another thing is it had good waka waka music like the oh, guitar nice. was constantly like waka 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 um, i thought that was cool and um the the woman that um leslie nielsen was trying to hook up with was a much older Barbara Rush, who was the lead in um, It Came From Outer Space. So, oh, okay. interesting to see her as an older woman. But even that, you know, the whole end part where they're, like, climbing down, it was literally, like, it's girders, right? So, it's, like, kind of the same path, like, yeah. five times. So And they show every fucking time. Like, oh, there they're at that piece again. And, you know, like, it did, there was no variation in the, in the descent. Like, even if, like, a piece disappeared and then they had to, like, you know, rappel down or something, it would have been way more interesting. But, nope, it was just, like, literally zigzagging. Oh,
1: oh. Now they're going down diagonally left. Oh, now they're going down diagonally right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then, the, so my question is, how does this stack up against fire?
0: Yeah, man. I mean. That's another one. Allen. Allen. I think, I think Irwin Allen always needed money to make good movies is what I'll say about that because I find his TV stuff was not nearly as good as his theatrical stuff now and I've heard like this hanging by a thread is is I'm also on the hunt for Um, same director Erwin Allen I believe was also involved that one is like kind of like Skyway to Death it's about a cable car uh, a a cable car that's like hanging in the air but again, now Skyway to Death I found boring in 90 minutes or no that was actually 70 like 75.
1: Yeah.
0: Hanging by a thread is three hours again. <laughs> so and then of course like you know kind of like this one it goes in like it zooms in on a character then backstory for five minutes right <laughs> and uh, I think that one's probably not as good as this one, but I just yeah I think it's just Irwin Allen trying to like do something on a. Very very limited budget is just not something he can do. It would be like it would be like putting Michael Bay on a limited budget. Like the guy just some of these some people just can't do that, right? They're just they need to be doing big stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think Irwin Allen was definitely one of those guys.
1: Well, Warner Archive has definitely put out the majority of his '80s TV movie disaster productions because they put this out. They put Fire out. They put out Cave in. Which is the one with the uh, oh we're on a we're on a tour of a cave and there's some mobsters down there and uh oh there's been a cave in and we're all trapped in the cave with the mobsters. Same director as this again? Oh, is it really? Yeah, because I've considered buying that from Warner Archive too. So, I mean, we know they're not going to be good, but we're just we can't resist, can we?
0: I definitely can't resist these. I, uh, a TV movie with a good premise is always going to get me. Um, and you, yeah, usually they're not very good, but um, but I usually find something out of them. And, and like I said, I mean, this was three hours. And now had I tried to watch this in one sitting, fuck no way. But splitting it over the two nights like it was originally shown, um, I actually I, I thought it was,
1: it was fun. It was Dude, pretty good. You made it into an event.
0: I did. It was a two-hour movie, two-night movie event.
1: You should have like <laughs> que- queued up the like the introduction to the movie of the week on YouTube right before you started playing it each time. <laughs> you know that like spinning. Movie oh of the yeah, week. yeah, You should have yeah. queued that up before you played it, then it would have been even like better. So what was that again? The,
0: the night the bridge fell down? And I under, I also wonder like if they i wonder when it aired like i wonder if it was a week apart or if it was just like two nights because of the of course the second half the second part the first like eight minutes is recapping the part you just watched um but um, i guess it helped me remember what had happened the night before but it was probably i don't know what with, with these mini series i don't know if they were usually aired back to back like that or if they were aired a week apart but um it was still, still fun. The night the bridge fell down from Warner Archive.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. I was just quickly looking to see if I could figure out if when it aired. Um, yeah, it doesn't say. Oh well, I was like, because yeah. if it was aired a week apart, then that would make sense for them to have, uh, you know, a recap because yeah. at the end of the week you're like, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It's like, a, there was so much plot in that first half, I, I can't remember. There were, I was just in the middle of all these fucking flashbacks, and I had no idea what's happening now.
0: All right, so. I thought, and Then the other thing is, I don't know why I was led to believe this, but my I, my initial impression of this movie was that these guys, people were stuck on a bridge, kind of like they were. But I thought there was like a sniper um, that was picking them off. That's That's what I thought this movie was. But no, it was crazy... Desi Arnaz Jr. running around with a gun.
1: I think that would have been a better movie if there was a I sniper. Think. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to talk about so mm. last episode during your VHS adventure, you talked about Scream Greats Volume One, Tom Savini. Yeah. So I was inspired by uh, our little talk there, and I decided to revisit Terror in the Isles from 1984. Because right. uh, that's included on the universal Blu-ray release of Halloween 2. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to watch this. Because, you know, just like Scream greats, this was one of the ones where we were like, as kids, we were like, oh, yeah, look at all these awesome movies. Oh, I can't wait to see these kind of thing, right? And now that I've seen all these movies and I realize what this is, I'm just like, okay, Terror in the Isles, you are what you are. You're a nostalgia piece. So basically what this is, Universal Pictures. Put out this clip compilation. This shit wouldn't fly in theaters these days, but so have at it in 1984. Like people will go see clip compilations in 1984. Great, go for it. So basically, it's it's hosted by Donald Pleasence who played Loomis in the Halloween movies, among other things. Very very famous, distinct distinctive British actor, and Nancy Allen, who was, you know, obviously she was. Murphy's partner in Robocop. She was in the De Palma movies, um, you know, Dressed to Kill and stuff. And they're the hosts slash narrators to this. And it's them sitting in a movie theater, basically amongst the crowd while they show clips on the TV mm-hmm. or on the screen. So it's like, what scares us? What do we find frightening? So on and so forth. Right. So it's just scenes in the movie theater, the patrons in the movie theater yelling at the screen while Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen kind of try and explain psychology to us, I guess. (laughs) Right. But this is basically just a greatest hits compilation in a way. It's just an editing together of all the best up to this time, Uh, you know, horror thrillers, basically. I mean, it's just clips from, Carrie clips from you know Friday the 13th the Nightmare on Elm Street so on and so forth and then you know and then halfway through they of course have a focus on the movies of Alfred Hitchcock because this is a universal release and Universal put out most of his stuff and then after that we go into a discussion of villains, and then we get some clips from like, you know, we get Ramrod from Vice yeah. Squad, and we get Marathon Man showing up, and I'm like, fuck, man, I forgot Marathon Man is so so good. I gotta I gotta track that down and watch that again, and you know, and and the Nighthawk shows up, like in yeah. clips of Nighthawks, and I'm like, okay, so it's just it's just a lot of clips just piled together with no real narrative and no real sense, and you know, and While I'm watching it, there's this like – it just hits all the expected marks and there's this kind of synthy score playing in the background by this guy, the composer John Beale. And I'm like, okay, well, that score comes back. I'm grooving out. And then I'm like, oh, I've seen all these scenes. I'm kind of getting a little bored because like when I was a kid, these scenes were like, oh, man, I got to see these. But now I'm like – it's it's friggin' 36 years later i've seen them all you know so yeah. now, it's obviously not as exciting to me now because i've seen everything that they're basically showing and um you know i just was like yeah it's okay it's it's what it is it's just a clip compilation i mean if i want one of those now i'll just like buy like you know 42nd street forever or, you know trailer trauma or something like that and um You know, and instead of watching these clips, I'd rather just revisit the movies, to be honest. Like, I'd rather go and watch Carrie again and see, then you show me five minutes of the prom scene or show me the scene of her, like, getting revenge on her mom. I'd rather just watch the movie than see it in this clip compilation. Um, But on that note, I mean, it's what it is. Like, it was fun, I guess, for like 80 minutes to just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I didn't have to pay that much attention while I was watching it because I'd seen the movies. I would just like – I kind of like just focus out and then when they, when Nancy Allen and Donald Pleasant start talking again, I'd be like, okay, I'm paying attention again. And then they'd show endless clips of Rosemary's baby or something. I'd be like, okay, I'm kind of – I'm on my phone, you know, yeah. looking up some of these movies for trivia and whatever. And then, uh, I'm like, I'm on, I'm trying to see if I can get Nighthawks on Blu-ray because I think it's gone out of print. You know, something like that. Like, that's what I'm doing when I'm watching it, particularly. Like, where can I buy a copy of this movie? Because I'd rather watch the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but, preferred clip compilation, it's fine. It has a really ridiculous song in the end credits about, like, being scared and everything that was, just didn't fit in the movie. And, you know, like I said, it's it's one of these things where I'm like, ooh, Marathon Man, gotta buy that on Blu-ray now. That's all it is. It's like, maybe if you haven't seen these movies, it'll have a little bit more weight for you. But, I mean, there's not a bad clip in the bunch, particularly. I'll give it that much. I mean...
0: Yeah, it was way funner when I was young, because I yeah. remember watching this on... Uh the halloween 2 disc and i was like yeah this is not nearly as cool as i remember
1: <laughs> Well, like i said we've seen them all right yeah we've seen them all so i mean it's not even like some of these clip compilations you can discover movies you didn't even hear of like yeah. especially on like those 42nd Street forever discs or something like there's all these b movies we've never heard of this plays it safe and just sticks mostly to Universal released movies or movies that are considered like classics of the genre or whatever. It doesn't really take any chances on the clips it's showing, particularly except for Vice Squad. Except for Vice Squad, yeah. Because
0: this is no, this is the, what got, this is what made me want to find out what Vice Squad was.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah like we're
0: watching this and going, "What is that movie?" Like, yeah, and
1: find yeah, like, out that way. I'm pretty sure every movie except for Vice Squad was a big studio movie, though. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, in that sense, um. Only other things i got to say about it is uh, one of the one of the uh, theater patrons is Angel Salazar. And uh, if you've seen any forms of movies, you know this guy. He's just, just your typical Latino gangbanger type, I guess yeah. you'd call him. You know, he's in Scarface. He's in The Wildlife, which is the loose sequel to uh, Fast Times. He's been in Maniac Cop 2. He's been in Carlito's Way. He's just, like, been in a lot of stuff. He's kind of the guy you he's one of those go-to Latino – uh, heavies, I guess. Mm-hmm. And in this, he kind of looks like, you know, what you'd expect a Latino guy going to the movies would look like with his headband and his, like, leather vest and stuff. And, hey, baby, you know, his arm around his date. Don't be scared, baby, while he's chewing on his gum and stuff. So <laughs> he's in here. And uh, I kind of do want to see um a couple years before this, Paramount did the same thing where they did It Came From Hollywood. Have you Mm. heard of that one? And that's like a clip compilation too, but it's hosted by like Dan Aykroyd and Cheech and Chong and all these comedians. So I'm thinking it probably isn't good either, but at least we'll have like comedians trying to pull off bad jokes. Yeah. Instead of like Donald Pleasant's looking very seriously in the camera and Nancy Allen just being the token, you know, girl. To do narration in this but you know for what it is terren is okay i guess but
0: I, I liked it came from hollywood when i was young i've got another one on tape called coming soon oh with, okay uh, that's uh hosted by jamie lee curtis but oh, i'm okay. not sure what the story
1: is on that one so yeah and they were, I, they were I, a bit of a thing in the mid early 80s there yeah, and i remember don't you remember like in 2000 and 2000 in two thousand and one, they tried to bring this back, like on DVD. They released that thing, Boogeyman.
0: Yeah, Mike Mendez did that.
1: Yeah, which was just like clips from like horror movies again. Yeah, like I, I, I just find this kind of weird. I mean, and I think especially in this day and age when you can just go on YouTube and yeah. see any of this stuff, it's kind of redundant. So I understand why they would wedge this onto the Halloween two disc because. There is a lot of Halloween 2 footage in this, yeah. but like, this would have never sold if they put it out by itself, I don't think. Yeah, I don't um, think so Like, yet. It's pretty redundant. It's pretty redundant 36 years later, but I mean, like I said, when I was a kid, I love this shit. Yeah, I mean, me too. You can't, you can't really go wrong seeing some of your, your favorite scenes from these movies, but I mean, in smaller doses, or like I said, just watch the fucking movie. exactly just revisit the movie watch the thing again or whatever you know it's not you know you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of it i think agreed so yeah that's terror in the aisles nice um just a side note
0: on that um um listener michelle let me know that um screen grace volume one is actually included on the just desserts blu-ray oh really making of creep show So um, if you are interested in getting Scream Greats Volume 1, the the Tostovini one that I was bitching about last week not being released on uh, Blu-ray, it actually has been released on Blu-ray on the uh, Just Desserts Blu-ray.
1: Well, then I'm buying Just Desserts, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So next up, um, I decided to continue my trip down the – or trip into the nether of – the 200-disc Bill Creech cult classics collection. What's next? Uh, the next movie. and uh, Yep, yeah, now is when I start
1: regretting watching these movies in and, order. And you're doing it in order, right? Like disc one, side one.
0: Unless the, So the only exception is I'm, I'm forcing myself to watch it unless it's either... on, on Either I already own the Blu-ray somewhere, or... Um, like the Adamson movies, I know I'll be buying the box from Severin, so I'm skipping those ones. But anything oh, okay. that is not out, and that I will probably won't buy if it is out, I'm watching. So, the next... The next one, after the awesomeness of Blood Mania last time, um, was not quite as awesome. (laughs) And I'm like, what have I done? Um, Because I was also looking through the booklet, and I'm like, oh my god, like some of these, there's going to be times where I have to watch like, eight shitty ninja movies in a row Like, so we'll see how this plays out but i'm gonna really try and do this
1: don't we and always do that that we start a series and then we get like two two or three movies in and we're like what have we done
0: well the really horrifying thing here was we're on episode 134 so even if i watch one per episode i still won't be done this like until we yeah it's that's what really put (laughs) in. 325
1: episodes
0: yeah so i might have to start doubling these up but uh anyway i'll keep doing it as long as i can anyway so the next one up was called terrified from 1963 directed by lou landers lou landers had um directed a whole bunch of b-movies um most notably probably the Raven with Karloff and Lugosi and uh, Return of the Vampire which was uh, one of the very few times that Lugosi uh, returned as a vampire Um, okay so this one opens promisingly it's um, it's got a it's um, basically there's uh, someone being buried alive by a masked killer and I'm like, oh, that's pretty daring for 1963. It's a guy who's basically tied up and in, in a grave, and a masked killer is like putting dirt over them. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty actually pretty effective, pretty scary. Um, then we get um, then we get introduced to um, the well oh, the opening credits happen. This is all a prologue. Um, then we find out that there's someone trying to ram cars head on on the highway. So this older couple um pulls into this diner to like say oh my god these cars are trying to ram into us and um then uh, like this they're just talking to the diner patrons about this and the owner of the diner blah 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 talk 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 yap yap Mm yap then we cut over then we move over to a different table where we've got two young men and a young girl and they're all talking and clearly the girl's like on a date with the one guy but she's kind of into the other guy so we've got this weird love triangle going on she makes it very clear that she's kind of into both of them and anyway one of the guys is kind of, like one of the guys is kind of your typical all-American dude and then the other guy is this kind of weirdo guy who like is going on about how he's like a student of terror and he's trying to learn about <laughs> how terror affects the the human mind he probably should have hosted terror in the Isles later but <laughs> anyway so he's going on about this blah 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 okay so then them then the other two who are so marge is the girl and david and those terror guys named camp so marge and david um i did again in and out of consciousness a little bit for me on this one but they find out there's this guy named crazy bill and he lives oh. in this ghost town this uh, abandoned ghost town on the outskirts of town so they go to look for crazy bill and i of oh, course don't remember why so off they go to this abandoned ghost town and um they're looking for crazy bill and then they find his dead body like impaled on this like um fence and they're like oh my god crazy bill's been killed and i'm still like why were they out there again anyway (laughs) so they go to leave and then oh my god crazy
1: bill are you okay
0: (laughs) yeah but he wasn't okay (laughs) meanwhile ken the student of terror shows up and he's also there and i'm again i'm like why is he here but anyway he's like oh i'm gonna stay behind you guys go to get help i'm gonna stay behind and i'm like nice friends they like find this corpse and then they like leave this dude there and then they take off then we're introduced, then we're led to like literally 30 minutes of Ken being pursued by the masked killer throughout the abandoned ghost town. Um and yeah, it's just like mass killer catches Ken, toys with him a little bit, Ken escapes, runs to the next building. Runs into a room and some like spiders fall on him, and then he like runs away. The catcher killer catches him again, lets him escape. So it's kind of like this boring sequence of like them playing cat and mouse, but it really wasn't that mm-hmm. thrilling because I really didn't really care about Ken other than him being this weirdo in the diner. Um, eventually, David and uh, um, Marge get back, they um, they are all they are trying to figure out what happened. Marge gets taken by the killer. Cops show up. Movie ends. <laughs> uh, okay. So this was so boring, dude. Like it was <laughs> oh my God. It was like painful. Um I yeah, I just thought this was a real like even the beginning like yeah yeah it was kind of a neat beginning but it wasn't enough to make me be like oh go check this out it's so cool no it was this was a boring movie um nothing really happens it's just basically repetitive music repetitive scenes of like going in and in through the ghost town um i mean the only cool thing i can say about this movie is it was shot at the old hell roach studios before right before the studios were torn down in the early 60s and uh that's where a lot of like the you know some Chaplin stuff was filmed some buster keaton stuff was filmed there i think our gang was filmed there so kind of a like kind of like that phantom of hollywood thing that Mm -hmm. you were talking about kind of cool to see the old one of the sets from the old studio, although they might have built this set for this movie. But still, like, I, I love stuff like that, where I know this location's now like a fucking shopping mall or whatever that we got to capture it on film. So from that perspective, I thought this was kind of cool. Um, the sheriff is played by denver pile who of course is uncle jesse from the dukes of hazard um a very very young like i literally didn't recognize him so that was kind of neat i guess if you're into the dukes of hazard and the only other weird piece of trivia is this the um the woman who was in that older couple from the beginning who were being like trying to run off the road and ended up in the diner she was like kind of this like one of these like annoying older women you see in these kind of movies. Anyway, I looked into her and she's um she was actually a Disney voiceover actress and she was the voice of Lady in Lady and the Tramp.
1: Really. And a bunch <laughs> of
0: other things. So I thought that was just so random and weird. So this was like there were names in this but you know, I guess if you're kind of into like these like, you know, if you're into like William Castle movies and stuff like that, you might get something out of this, but I just felt like it was kind of missing all the fun of those movies. And it was just basically, oh, we have this set. Let's make this cheap movie and have people run around on the set and have a hooded masked killer. And and then it just got really kind of creepy and, like, really um, – I don't want to reveal who the killer is, but it just gets really awkward and, like, uh, um, just from, like, the guy's, like, a sexual deviant and it's just kind of – really gross that way um but yeah i mean n- n- none of the lead actors were particularly compelling and uh yeah i was definitely like okay thank god that one's done what's next but i actually knew that going in i'm like terrified really that's what from 1963 <laughs> fucking awesome i can't wait
1: right? <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm glad to see you were very like you know excited <laughs>
0: oh no i was not i was like oh god but it has a really cool poster i'll give it that
1: i was just looking at the poster actually <laughs> i was like oh that's a pretty cool poster at least with the guy being buried alive or whatever yeah yeah and then yeah. the tag the tagline is how much shock can the human brain endure before it cracks
0: yeah yeah no it's it looks good it's uh, again william castle it's kind of got that going oh, yeah, on yeah where yeah looks really great but no it's not
1: so of course it's a crown international release because that's what mill creek's the best at is repurposing (laughs) crown international movies for these multi packs
0: (laughs) they really are so i try to figure out how these how this like i literally think this package is like all those like 10 probably movie packs like shoved into one so I, I might be working I think you showed me one of them last week you ought had on Gorehouse shelf. Greats yeah I bet you this is on that I bet you I'm going to see all those movies in the next
1: while I should see if I can reach it from where I am Oh Gorehouse Greats hang on
0: Yeah so um I think that's what happens cuz I know I and I'm so I'm looking forward to some of these but not Oh dude others.
1: it is on here yeah <laughs> What else is on there um, let's see it's got Blood on Dracula's Castle. Yeah, see that was the that was the
0: Al Adamson one that I skipped.
1: Blood Mania. Yeah,
0: that's what I talked about last time.
1: Brain Twisters. Oh God, don't recognize that one. The Devil's Hand. Okay. The Madmen of Mendoris, A.K.A. They Saved Hitler's Brain. Is there something about a wax museum? Nightmare in Wax. Yeah, I think that's the next. Prime Evil. Satan's Slave. Stanley. <laughs> terrified terror and trip with the teacher okay Gory so there's there's some okay stuff coming up gorehouse greats yeah yeah so. i think it is all their all their sets just like wedged into one giant box so suckers like you will buy them <laughs> <laughs> and then watch them in, in order <laughs> <laughs> i saw i saw a blog once like a wordpress blog where someone had bought one of these sets I was trying to do the same thing you're doing and they fucking gave up. So good luck to you. <laughs>
0: well, we'll see how it goes. I'm pretty pretty pumped right now, but I might have to step up the pace of it a little bit. I think uh, the notion of doing this for the next like 8 years or probably longer, 10 years. <laughs> fuck fuck that. So yeah, I'll try to speed it up a
1: bit. <laughs> Josh was like, I've got ten movies this time, and they're all from that <laughs> box set. Have fun, everybody. <laughs> Have fun. Because I didn't.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, that was terrifying for 1963.
1: <laughs> Jesus. 63. Well, I guess I'll follow it up with, like, I guess I'll follow it up with what's probably the worst movie that I watched this time out. Yeah, why not? Might as well, right? Might as well keep the train going. Um, So, you know I love The Descent neil marshall's the descent that 2005 caving horror film and you know it's probably in my top uh 10 horror movies of all time and that when we saw it on the big screen with neil marshall in attendance that's like one of my greatest things i've ever done at the rio here in vancouver yeah i decided to watch a movie called the cave from 2005
0: oh yeah i've always wanted to see this Uh, what
1: this is it's your pg-13 big studio caving movie that came mm. out the same year as the descent so so this opens 30 years ago in romania and they're up in the romanian mountains and there's this really ancient looking church that's in the middle of nowhere and you know the that Treasure hunters have come to go into the church, and of course there's caverns underneath this church, right? Because, you know, that's just how it goes. So they're in this these caverns, and they blast their way into this cave underneath, and, you know, they get trapped down there with something. You don't know what, but they get trapped. And then there's a because there, their dynamite went off, it causes a rock landslide, which destroys and buries the church. Yeah, so fast forward to modern day. And we meet the guy, Jack, played by Cole Hauser. Yes, Wings Hauser's son. <laughs> he is in this, and we're introduced to him and his team who are like specialists in cave diving, regular cave exploring under the water, which is what they're doing in the first scene there together. They're exploring an underwater cavern to map it out. And we're like, okay, well, we've got your typical boring characters, or you've got cole hauser is the leader of the band we've got morris chestnut as the token muscly black guy we've got piper pirabo from coyote ugly just crossing (laughs) her arms and looking off into the distance and not having any real purpose in the movie for the most part so you know they're they're diving and it's pretty good underwater photography admittedly i'm like oh this yeah it looks okay this is you know it's not like the deep from 1977, where I'm going to see like you know Jacqueline Bisset in a wet T-shirt, but that's okay, whatever. Maybe Piper <laughs> Perabo will fall into the water or something will happen, right? And it doesn't. But um, and so it's just this like setup as your typical PG-13 adventure movie slash creature feature because you know the crew's all generic, it's moving pretty quickly and it looks okay for the most part, and then they're kind of hired by this you know russian scientist and his assistant to go back to romania dig through the rubble find the cave explore the cave find out there's monsters down there get attacked rinse repeat kind of like felon rinse repeat for the second half of the movie um so you know like i said at first this thing's moving it's going pretty good and you know, and I'm like, okay, no one has any personality in this fucking movie. Like, I have no idea who these people are. They're just like, kind of like, is that Cole Hauser's character? Or is that like one of the other white guys who's part of the group? I have no fucking idea what's <laughs> going on. I'm like, I know Morris Chestnut because Morris Chestnut because he's a black guy, you know, and and I know Piper Perabo because she just stands there with her arms crossed doing nothing for the most of the time. Like, I know those two, but the rest, I'm like, who the fuck are these people? Why are they so interchangeable? Like, what's going on? So eventually you know they're in the caves they start getting attacked the attack scenes are just shot so like this is that mid 2005 where it's like they're so tightly shot and so chaotic that Mm. most of the time you're like what the hell is going on like kind of like the fight scenes in the Bourne movies most of the time you're like confused as to what's going on and and you know where is someone and why are they being attacked and and all that and i never got But the problem with this movie is I never got a true feeling of their environment. Like they were in caves and there was like underwater streams and, you know, there's a scene where they get trapped in the underwater rapids and fall down a big waterfall and stuff. And but I had no idea where they were for the most part, Hmm. whereas in The Descent, same thing, you know, just caves. But at least I had an idea of where they were. Yeah, Like, it was laid out in a way where I'm like, okay, this is logic. Like, they're going, they're heading downwards, they're across this chasm, now they're in this area. You know, I knew what was going on in the descent. And this, I'm like, where are they now, and what's happening now, and how did they get here? You know, yeah. that's what's happening in the cave. So, you know there's these creatures that pop up. They're mostly albinoe type creatures because they've lived in a cave and they have, you know, drippy fangs. And they're not CG for the most part, which I appreciated. Like, they were practical effects. I'm like, okay, I appreciate that you, you're you in 2005 and you're not resorting to CG. I appreciate that. Because all the other fucking horror movies I was seeing in theaters in 2005 did. Like, even yeah. cursed the the Wes Craven uh Werewolf movie that I hated was CG effects for the most part. Like, Cursed went and took Rick Baker werewolf designs and replaced them with CG. That's how bad it was in 2005 for horror movies. Oh, man. Like, so, I'm like, I appreciate that. But, like I said, I didn't know what was going on half the time. I didn't care what was going on half the time because I didn't care about any of the characters. They tried to throw in this subplot where, where, hauser's character is attacked and he starts having visions because he's had because he's had the parasite go into his bloodstream Mm -hmm. and i'm just like and then throughout the movie he just gets more and more pasty and he starts getting like you know these these bags under his eyes and i'm just like fuck off already like (laughs) come on like i've seen this in so many movies yeah and i'm just sitting there like completely bored through this whole movie i'm like "Uh uh-oh look out here comes the suspenseful music as they swim and walk down corridors again. Let's wait a couple minutes and it's going to happen again. They're just going to walk down these fucking corridors with this music going dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun and nothing <laughs> happening. So I'm watching this. When I'm watching this, my girlfriend's sitting on the couch beside me doing, like reading a book or doing whatever. She looks up every once in a while and she goes, this looks really fucking boring. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is. It's, it's <laughs> It's, it's pretty awful um i just was like i i didn't feel anything through this whole thing i was just like yeah this is this is pretty terrible i i don't have time for this and this was a rewatch for me mm. i'm like i had seen this before and didn't like it and i was stupidly bought it at a thrift store i was like hey i'll give it another chance fucking bad decision <laughs> <laughs> Bad decision, Chris. Don't do this anymore. Don't. If you see a movie and you're like, "Hey, I remember hating that," I better buy it. Don't fucking do it anymore. You're just you're doing a disservice to yourself. You really are, because I'm pretty sure a movie that you hated 15 years ago, you're not gonna like now. Exactly. I mean, it happens once in a while, but for the most part. And the funny thing about this one is, is that I reviewed this on the site, like a written review, when it was in theaters. And after I watched this, I read that review, and I feel the exact same way. <laughs> like everything I said in the review, I'm like, yep, yeah, I fully agree with what I said 15 years ago. Fuck man, it's like I looked into my future and decided what I was gonna think about this movie in 2020 and wrote the review. <laughs> like, I had not my opinion has not had not changed one bit in 15 years. Wow, and that blows my mind. All my complaints I had 15 years ago are the same complaints I have in 2020. <laughs> about That's the cave piece yeah no avoid please avoid
0: <laughs> i almost picked that up recently actually it was well, uh, it was that black dog and it was sitting there for sale for like two bucks and i'm like
1: eh, and then i decided on something else well j- just think of it this way when we finally are able to see each other in person again it'll be at your house so don't worry about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think it's also on netflix for some reason it might it's be popped up on Netflix recently. I don't
1: know why. Yeah, don't don't do it, man. Don't do it. Yeah. So that's the cave. Please avoid.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go into uh, Universal horror. Um, because I am gonna start working my way through those now too. Okay. <laughs> um, why not
1: give yourself another project, Josh? Why not?
0: <laughs> I got to start speeding up some of these projects. So um. Uh, well, yeah, because I've got all these boxes of stuff that I've just never gotten around to. So well, that's
1: like me and my twenty-one disc Hammer collection that I bought from the UK. I'm like, <laughs> should I start watching that soon?
0: Yeah, <laughs> but it can be a lot of pressure watching some of that. Like I find Universal horror, like I like them all, but I do find like watching too many of them would be a little daunting. Like I couldn't marathon them. Let's put it that way. Anyway, um, I decided to rewatch The Mummy from 1932. Uh, directed by Carl Freund. Um Carl Freund was um mainly known as a DP. Um he had come from German expressionism. Um I believe he shot Metropolis and he also shot Dracula from uh the first Universal horror movie from a couple of or the prior year. Um this one has a lot of similarities with Dracula. Um, mainly in the cast members um, it also has the same theme as Dracula because I'm like oh I totally remember this awesome theme from um, The Mummy and I'm like oh probably because it was the same theme as Dracula <laughs> and probably because it's from Tchaikovsky and it's Swan Lake but <laughs> so no it wasn't that it wasn't a really unique theme here that we were talking about in The Mummy but anyway I did it did bring me back um Now, of course, the mummy, um, for me, have you seen the mummy? Not for a long time. So, the thing about the mummy is, I thought the mummy was like probably maybe Jack Pierce's crowning achievement. Like, I thought it was like the coolest monster makeup of all of them. And, uh, but the problem is, is that the mummy is only literally in the prologue, it's in the first like five minutes of this movie. Yeah. And it's only seen in, like, a couple of shots. And that's the end of The Mummy. The Mummy is not in this movie anymore. And then it it uh, moves over to um, Karloff again, but not as The Mummy. He plays a guy named Imhotep, uh, which, of course, if you've seen the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, you'll think that's The Mummy. But, and he kind of is, but he's like this, you know reincarnated prince who's looking for his lost love, which he finds is is Zita Johan, and the movie's basically about him like pretty much trying to get Zita Johan to, to die and then be reincarnated as his lost love so they can have eternal love together or whatever. Along for the ride is uh, a guy named Frank Wemple, played by David Manners, who also played Jonathan Harker in Dracula um uh, there's another an older gentleman named dr mueller played by edward van sloan who played van helsing in dracula um and um it's just kind of dull and um there's not a lot of monsters going on there's the monster at the beginning and that's it and um i've just always found this to be the kind of lamest of the at least as far as the kind of heavy hitters of the universal horror um, and kind of like you know, because when I think of the Universal horror movies, I don't think of all the sequels. I think of the originals of all of the all of them. And, yeah. and for those, I find the Mummy to be the weakest of the of all of the Universal monsters. Um, except the monster itself is maybe the coolest. So that's I'm really kind of torn on this one. Um, Zita Johan uh, was a very unique looking lady. Um, I thought she. Um, I thought she was very interesting to look at. I'm very, very surprised by her um, outfit in the last half or last part. I think this might have been pre-code, but um, she um, like it was so revealing, and uh, you're just I'm just not used to seeing stuff like that in uh, in older movies. Um, so it might have just squeaked in um, right before um, the the film code. Um, she apparently had a terrible time on set. Carl Friend and her hated each other. He was apparent sounded like an awful, awful guy to work for, which is probably why he didn't direct a lot of movies. But I do see see there's a lot of love for the Mummy, um, and I mean it is a classic. There's no question. But um, just when you're looking at these as as monsters and uh, uh, monster movies, this, this does not deliver at all. And I I knew that from before. Um, I am kind of looking forward to the sequels because I do think that we do see more mummy and a little bit more horror. Because this is basically like a almost like a period love story in a way. But, yeah, I don't know. I just... um, I really want to love this movie, but I don't. Um, But a lot of people really do, right? And I don't know if that's just because you're supposed to say that you love all the universal horror movies, but um, even Dracula I find a little bit boring, right? Like the original Dracula. Um, Still still enjoyable i still like it better than this but i also bella as cool as bella is i i find it it's it's not the most fast-paced movie i think frankenstein holds up really well i think bride of frankenstein holds up really well and creature from the black lagoon holds up really well and i've and wolfman remains to be seen but i think it probably will as well i've never seen the invisible man and i've never seen the phantom of the opera from that era so I think it will be interesting to see some of these. But yeah, I've usually just watched the originals and then stopped. So I am kind of curious about watching more of these.
1: Yeah, like from my, um, like it's been a while for me that I've seen a lot of these. But for mine, I, I'm with you. Like the Mummy and Dracula are actually on my lower tier from yeah. when I used to watch them. Like I always liked Creature from the Black yeah. Lagoon the best. I actually do quite enjoy the Wolfman even still. Like, yeah, I thought the Wolfman, the transformation stuff in it's pretty cool. And the main, you know, the main performance is good. Yeah. And I actually I like uh, the Invisible Man, too. Like, I thought the Invisible Man was pretty fun. But, uh, mm. yeah, I, I see some people taking the mummy to task now for it being kind of boring. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that Hammer actually did the mummy movies better, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I didn't like the Hammer mummy movie. Yeah, either, I think relief. I.
1: I think I liked it better because I th- I feel like it was a lot more garish mm. and a lot more like, because when we grew up, we were like, you know, it was the big common, right? Like yeah. King Tut, yeah, we're touring the King Tut relics or, you know, everyone was kind of fascinated with King Tut and stuff, which made us like more interested in like mummification. And, you know, you heard about the, the coat hangers going up oh, and, yeah. was in, and pulling the brain out and everything. And I felt like the hammer stuff was more attuned to that kind of garish kind of fantastical stuff that we heard about when we were kids Mm -hmm. than the universal one did like i felt like it was more you know a lot more risque i guess you'd say so that's why i always kind of liked the the hammer mummy better but remains to be seen also right like these are ones i haven't seen in over 20 years so
0: i can't well, I say remember we true. did an episode on mummies and I, I they've never really done it for me and yeah no they kind of should like they sh- they should be really freaky but it's like no one's really gotten it right but um
1: well i think the problem is mummies walk so fucking slow <laughs> slower than zombies so true it was just like you just throw a book at them and run you're like i'm out see you <laughs> see you later but you can't get me
0: yeah, that's true. Anyway, that's the original Mummy from 1932.
1: All right, so uh, let's follow that up with a non-horror movie, shall we? Because we had The Cave and The Mummy, so let's go for one. that I, This is a movie that I've um, always been curious to see, and I saw it popped up on Prime the uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. And I was like, oh, I gotta give this uh, give this a shot. I know it's out on Blu Ray from uh, I believe Scorpion releasing, and it's a movie called Aloha Bobby and Rose from 1975. Um, right. Directed directed by Floyd Mut- Mutrix, who uh, he he's one of those guys. Like, there's a couple directors I can think of off the like that that you can think of off the top of your head who are like people who kind of uh, work in nostalgia, is what I like to call it, where they make a handful of movies and they're all set in past eras and you know they they kind of like steep themselves in like you know the era the music the cars mm-hmm. the you know that like like floyd Muttrix, he made um lords of Flatbrush, which is like a 50s you know gang movie with like henry winkler and um I think Stallone's in that one too, I believe. And and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then he made after this movie, he made a movie called Hollywood Nights, which was set in the '60s with like um, Michelle Pfeiffer and actors actors like that. And it was also like you know nostalgic. Like nostalgia is the train that this director is on. Um, so I'd always kind of been curious about this one because you know I'd heard, you know, it's set in Hollywood in the in the 1970s it's a um rebellious love kind of story you know like kind of like a a badlands kind of thing but maybe not like with the with the glitz of hollywood behind it in a way so i'm like okay i I, it's on prime let's give it a go because i've been curious about it for a few for years right um so I found the opening kind of confusing because it like opens with this shot on this, this really tight shot on this, this old, older woman sitting on a porch. And she's just telling this like kind of weird story about her youth. And at the time, you're just kind of like, I'm not quite sure what this story is pertaining to or it's, it's really confusing. Like it it felt, I felt like it should have probably been cut out of the movie because it just didn't really makes sense to me right from the beginning. And then we cue up Elton John's Benny and the Jets during the credits. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're playing Benny and the Jets, you're showing like, you know, kinda shots of Hollywood. I'm kinda back on board after this confusing story this lady told me. And we're introduced to Bobby, played by Paul Lamatte. Now, Paul Lamette I know from the original Puppet Master movie. Obviously, like mm-hmm. he was the lead in Charles Band's 1989 Puppet Master, but he was also one of the main characters in uh, George Lucas's American Graffiti
0: two yeah, years prior, prior yeah.
1: to this. So he's he's a pretty um, charismatic guy, pretty handsome, lots of charisma kind of guy. Uh, so we're introduced to him in this and the first scene to him is him. He's trying to hustle a pool game at this like C D bar and he, he he doesn't pull it off he's he can't pay he's you know he's kind of like ganged up on like we want our money you lost the bet and he can't pay so he's like I'll, I'll get you your money don't worry about it and he's with his buddy and his buddy is played by a super super young robert carradine so i'm just like okay. oh, Ro-. i'm like oh robert C- carradine's in this and I'm just used to, you know, Robert Revenge of the Nerds era kind of Robert Carradine, like that mid 80s. And I know he's been in this and he was in um the Jonathan Kaplan movie Joyride in 1977 mm. with um, Melanie Griffith, which I haven't seen. But I know he was in that, too. So it was it was kind of cool seeing a really young Robert Carradine in this. And he was just playing like Bobby's best friend who also works with him at a garage so he's like the tow truck driver bobby's the like he's just the guy who helps out the mechanic so he gets this like he's like i want you to take this car back to a customer like we fixed her car take the car back so he he returns the car to this girl called rose played by diane hall and she kind of works at this it's almost like a um a drive-through kind of deal like she works in the booth at this business and right from the get-go he, he tries to be all flirty with her and she's kind of no nonsense to him like she's kind of like brushing him off like you know she's she's a cool girl so she's she's too cool for bobby kind of like this rose character and then you know he kind of convinces her just to, to you know go out with me like let's go out and have some fun so You know, they go out and they spend an evening where they go like they go ice skating and they they eat. They're eating at restaurants. And and this is the stuff I liked in this movie. Like they're cruising the Hollywood Strip, basically, like they're just in his car cruising through Hollywood, listening to like, you know, Elton John songs or oldies and stuff. And, you know, they're passing by all these like landmarks. But this is like 1975 Hollywood and they're nice. passing by, they're passing by landmarks, and there's all these billboards like you would see in Hollywood, and it's all these like billboards for like stuff that was happening around the time. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm just like, this is fucking great. I I love this stuff like where they're cruising, like I love movies like this where like scenes like that in older movies where they're they, you know, like they do in New York, like when they just cruise certain mm-hmm. strips in the '70s, and you're like, oh man, if I wish I was. You know, I wish I wasn't a, 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 like a little baby in the 70s. I wish I could be like in my 20s and the 70s and just like living in that mm-hmm. seedy kind of like everything's exciting kind of lifestyle. Right. So I'm like, they're they're doing that. And I'm just like, oh, the soundtrack's good. And, you know, I, I I'm liking the leads like I thought Hull was really, really engaging in this and she wasn't in a lot of stuff. Like when I looked into her, she really wasn't in much. And I find it interesting that she's actually gone on to be like a, uh, a method acting coach. Like hmm. she's, she's gone on to like teach method acting in a, in a school in Hollywood. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Cause she is pretty method here. So I guess she, uh, I guess she knows what she's talking about. Um, and then things just kind of become this like on the run, crime love thing because they they do a prank in a convenience store where they pretend they're doing a robbery and uh things just go really wrong like the clerk ends up dying and they just end up you know on the lam so so the second half of the movie is just them basically like avoiding the law and trying to deal with what they've done and you know and meanwhile there's a bunch of john playing like there's Benny and the Jets gets played four times in this movie, dude. Like, four times. They play Tiny Dancer in this movie. And they play, um, I think it's uh, Your Song. They play Your Song in this movie. So, like, obviously, the producers, Elton John's management went to the producers and said, hey, we got some songs for you. Do you want to put them on your soundtrack? (laughs) And and Floyd Muttrick's like, hell yeah, I do. My budget for this movie is only $600,000. Let's (laughs) do it. Let's let's put this on the soundtrack, right? And then um you know, it's just kind of them going on this like meandering road trip throughout like Hollywood and and the outskirts cuz they're they're trying to get to like her family's house in I believe it's like Arizona. So it's basically just a road trip. It's basically just a road trip from Hollywood to Arizona to see her family and get away from this crime that they accidentally did and uh they meet like you know odd characters along the way because it wouldn't be a 70s road movie if you didn't meet odd characters along the way right like that's just a thing that happens um so i I liked this like i thought it was i thought it was pretty decent i i didn't love it but i was like into it when i was watching it and it's mostly because of the scenery and the soundtrack and the two leads had really decent chemistry together. And there was a scene um, just after the, the robbery scene, there was a slow motion car crash scene that I thought Mm -hmm. was really like, really awesome. Like I thought it was the way that it was staged was great. And like, right after the car crash happens, they cue up the song, the locomotion on the soundtrack and it fits so well with what was going on in the movie, even though it shouldn't have. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like, this is two great scenes in a row. And then it just kind of meanders its way to a finale. And, you know, I didn't think there was enough heft to some of the stuff going on. Like, like the finale, I, didn't, I felt like should have had a little bit more emotional punch than it did. And I also felt like I had a hard time sometimes buying the fact that these two pretty much fell in love right away. Like mm-hmm. it was like a love at first sight kind of deal here, but I was like watching it and I'm like, yeah, this is this is pretty entertaining and um, I really liked Hull in this, like I said, and, and like Paul and Matt I'm like I hadn't seen him outside of American Graffiti and Puppet Master and solid actor, like super solid is. actor, like he he delivered exactly what I thought his character should have been, and uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a pretty uh pretty decent movie and uh, if you have Prime check it out i mean it's it's there it's uh interestingly enough made for like i said six hundred thousand dollars and this was a pretty big hit in 75 like this movie went on and made like 35 million dollars which in which in 1975 money is quite a bit of cash Mm -hmm. so yeah um if you're into like that kind of nostalgic kick and you like like me like seeing like 70s hollywood and you like that kind of rebellious crime type movie then yeah I, I recommend aloha bobby and rose for sure it, it was a it was a pretty good ride like i i quite enjoyed myself
0: yeah i've always been curious about this one i don't know why i never got around to it but yeah. um i think anchor bay put it out at
1: one point yeah they put out the initial dvd of this yeah yeah and
0: yeah.
1: now i think it, i think it's scorpion put it out on on blu-ray but like i said a lot of that scorpion stuff now is popping up on prime right that's so. awesome so, yeah, aloha, Bobby and Rose.
0: Nice. All right, I'm going to double up with a couple of uh, All right. n- newer movies. Double up, double up. Um, <laughs> not too new, but newer. newer. Um, so the first one is um, Mike Flanagan's uh, follow-up to The Shining, which is called Doctor Sleep from yep. 2019 um and as listeners know i haven't been that down with mike flanagan over the years but uh, after watching haunting of hill house i was like okay this guy's actually got a lot more going on than i kind of thought after uh, a couple of misses in his earlier stuff Uh so i decided to give this one a shot um i had bought it on um the cineplex app and then uh covid hit so i didn't get it done in time so they gave me an extension so i had to watch this basically because i don't like spending my money i mean i find VODs kind of like going to the video store where you once you've spent the money you feel like you have to watch the movie right so
1: was it um can i just ask was it the director's cut that you it wasn't the director's cut i
0: mean this this thing was already like over i think two hours and 20 minutes and i think the director's cuts even longer and i was just like no i just don't have the patience to um on something like this that i'm already kind of like lukewarm about um just because you know i mean stephen king loved him back in the You know the early stuff and all the stuff that came out in the 80s but i found a lot of stephen king stuff that's come out in recent years i haven't been that into and um you know i haven't read the the book or anything and i was um it was more just for mike flanagan that i wanted to check this out and i didn't know a lot about it other than it was you know somewhat of a sequel to the shining so have you read dr sleep the book
1: i haven't no
0: okay so i'll try not to do many spoilers here um um, I went out, it's kind of hard to not talk about the fact that Ewan McGregor is playing a grown-up Danny Torrance from The Shining. Um, so, basically, Danny is, is grown up. He's got an alcohol problem. He's all, you know, he's kind of, like, hitting rock bottom. He's, like, going out drinking and, like, stealing, you know, taking women home and then stealing money from their wallets. And he's just kind of a train wreck. Um, but he befriends a guy named uh billy freeman or named uh, yeah billy freeman played by cliff curtis who um character actor he was in the mag recently and he was also in once Were warriors a long time ago um but he's like this this dude who like befriends you and mcgregor and like gives, gives him a place to live and all that um meanwhile there's this woman named rose the hat and uh she's um she basically leads this group of like the kind of like energy vampires um called the true not they're like this kind of cult of vampires that like kill people to like suck out the their breath which is like basically sucking out the shining which is like a psychic ability so they they're basically going around killing kids and sucking out their their uh, life force if, if you will so Rose the Hat's the leader of this gang. Um, she was great in this. I mean, I thought she was a really great villain. Um, and she's um, basically found out about this little girl named Elva um, Al- Almas- Stone, uh, played by Kylie Curran. And she's like this little girl who's um, got a connection with Ro- Rose the Hat. And she reaches out to Danny Torrance to help her kind of find- track down this Group of psycho vampires, basically, um, and that's pretty much the plot. Um, um, now, what happens though is like when Danny Torrance and the little girl hook up, or not hook up. Sorry, that's not a terrible <laughs> meet up. <laughs> um, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's obviously a lot of danger getting involved with the psychic stuff, and you know, this stuff is not usually for me. I'll just put that in here, um, but. Where this movie really starts to take off is um, through flashbacks that Danny experiences to the Overlook from the original movie, and uh, we have like there were there they recreated a lot of scenes from The Shining um, with different actors like Alex Esso from uh, Starry Eyes plays Shelley Duvall's character Wendy, Um, uh, Carl Lumbly plays. uh, Halloran, which is uh, Scatman McCruthers character from the original, so and I thought they looked and, and acted so well that you you kind of really did believe that you were what you were in a sequel and these were actually the same characters kind of grown up. Um, this movie really takes off when they actually go back to the Overlook, which is uh, a part of this film, and uh, this was pretty awesome. I mean, I gotta say, like I wasn't expecting it to be this cool, but uh, i guess flanagan like went to kubrick's um stanley kubrick's estate and got like the original like set design plans and recreated it like mm-hmm. exactly to match from the shining and uh, i thought that stuff was really awesome uh henry thomas plays the bartender and he also um um has some moments where he is basically acting like jack torrance from the shining um so that stuff was really cool um, you get to see Jacob Tremblay, the um, little kid from uh, Room, and I think he was in the new was it the new Predator?
1: Yeah, he anyway. was also in a, another Flanagan movie called Before I Wake, which right. I was kind of lukewarm on.
0: Annoying kid. Anyway, you get to see yeah. him get killed violently, which was oh, really God. awesome. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I mean, bad. Uh, yeah, never mind, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and there's you know all the ghosts, but I mean, mainly for me, like as a f- real as a big fan of the, uh, the the kubrick shining movie like probably one of my all-time favorite horror movies um this was a real treat to kind of see all these things kind of come back to life and uh in a non-cheesy non-stupid way I, I thought it was really neat but overall i mean i i don't know it was again fucking long like i just feel like why do you need to make these just this long um and it just took like an hour to get going and uh I guess there were some reasons for that, but holy shit, man, like it just took so long to get into the story and to get into kind of the cool parts of this. But at the end of it, I kind of was like, oh, this is this is actually pretty cool. But uh, I certainly have no interest
1: in seeking out the director's cut to like watch more of this. Which is funny because I always hear the director's cut is better. Maybe, but, you
0: know, it's just not. And maybe, maybe if you're a big fan of this movie or you're a big fan of Mike Flanagan, then sure, knock yourself out. But I just, I felt like with this story and like this kind of content – it's just not something i really i need to see
1: more of you yeah, know josh is fine with a bridge falling down for three hours <laughs>
0: i am i mean that's just my taste though right like, i know i get it <laughs> like i'm just I'm, as you know i'm not a huge fan of newer horror movies anyways yeah. Yeah. um two and a half hour newer horror movies yep yeah, that's even i'm even less of a fan making it longer than that even i don't know man i mean i just don't know what else i could get out of this and, like, you know, I, I, do, I don't do really like that trick either, right? Like, I know Haunting of Hill House, I really enjoyed it. But I know if I buy the Blu-ray set that there's extended episodes. Do I care? Not really. I mean, the story was fine as it was, right? So I don't know what they could have changed,
1: really. I but. find a lot of times that director's cut is just a marketing tool a lot of times, too. Like, there's I can name numerous movies where I prefer... The theatrical cut over the director's cut anyway but um, yeah. this is one this is one of those exceptions where I have heard from numerous numerous reliable sources that the director's cut is actually better but I'm like you I I believe horror movies should be no longer than a hundred minutes long for yeah. the most part so do I want to sit through two hours and 50 what 50 something minutes of of this no I, I kind of don't is it it's, that long? Is the director's yeah, cut that I long? I think the director's cut is like an extra half an hour or something. And, you know, I, I don't think I want to sit through two hours and 52 minutes of of a Shining sequel. I, I really, you know, like, that's just, that's asking me too much, personally. <laughs> I could watch two movies in the span of that. <laughs> yeah, like, this was fine. Like, I wasn't,
0: like, pissed off I spent money or anything. It's mm. better than maybe a lot of horror movies that are made these days. But, um... Yeah, like I just I just don't care enough to
1: see that. So know? in the in in the Overlook flashback stuff, who's playing Jack Torrance? Henry Thomas. So Elliot from E.T. is playing.
0: Yeah, but if you've seen Haunting a Hill House*, like you'll yeah, see yeah, he's how in that great too. an actor he is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, not saying he's still... bad.
1: No, he was he was really good. I
0: I uh, I just think yeah, this director is really uneven for me. I mean that that. That series was so good, and again, like I just feel like this director is maybe that's his thing, like maybe maybe the the like eight hour miniseries is what he should be doing.
1: Well, I mean, right? we're we're not on the same page with Hush though, because I love Hush. Yeah, no, I hate Hush. So, I mean, yeah. but I like I'm I'm kind of like you, like he, he's getting bigged up as this next big thing, and I'm like, well, I loved Hush but I didn't really like before I wake that much. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like, well, maybe I I need to watch Hill House obviously, but um I just don't like it when people are called the next big thing, I think. I think that just turns me off of actually watching their stuff to be honest.
0: So. Yeah, I mean Hill House is really good, but what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is like I almost kind of wonder like with this story, especially if there's a 3-hour director's cut, maybe this would have been better suited had he done an eight-hour Netflix miniseries. Yeah, maybe. Like,
1: maybe, who knows?
0: I might have been more engaged because I just find when you're taking a film and making it that long, like even with the, the TV movie I watched, at least that was over two nights. But a film, I'm usually going to try and do it in one sitting, right? Yeah. And uh, just sometimes maybe it's um, not the best choice. You know, I've, I've never liked, and um, I, I heard this once from... Uh, a podcaster i like but uh i hate the lord of the rings movies yeah shoot me down now but i can't stand them they're too fucking long Mm -hmm. but i heard someone say once we'll sit down and watch them like they're a netflix series watch an hour a night and it's a totally different experience so like you know that i do think of that sometimes and uh but with a feature film it shouldn't be it shouldn't be three hours even two and a half especially for a horror movie too
1: much yeah no i agree
0: Okay, so I did watch another movie that was not two and a half hours. Um, that I've been kind of putting off, and I just thought, "Ah, fuck it! I'm just gonna watch it." It'll, I know it'll be a quick ninety minutes, and that's Jigsaw from 2017. Oh boy! Oh <laughs> now, boy! <laughs> now, I am, um, I am a fan of the Saw movies. I will, I will admit it. Um, but they make me super uncomfortable but I just think I like the, the creativity um, they, they re- bring me back to like the days of for the Friday the 13th when they were in their heyday you always wanted to see what the kills were like and that's what the Saw movies are to me I mean some of them go a little too far um, but um, the, I do I, I have enjoyed them all um, this one was directed by the Spearing brothers, uh, Michael and Peter, who are probably best known for uh, well, they were made a movie called Undead, a zombie movie, and then they made a movie called Daybreakers that I liked quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I think I, rec- I think Daybreakers is underrated.
0: Yeah, totally like Daybreakers, and then most recently they made uh, Winchester about the Winchester oh, house. Okay.
1: Okay. Um.
0: Okay, so this one. Um. Okay, so it opens with this guy uh, at the beginning who's basically being chased by the cops, and he's got this like, you know, remote control in his hand, and he's basically like, you know, I, I'm not gonna, you know, you either have to push this button or I, or I get I die, you know, kind of like, sort of a typical saw setup where he's in this situation where he's got to make a choice. Anyway, he gets gunned down by the cops, but pushes the button while he's dying. And then you cut to a room full of, with five people in it, and they, they're attached to some sort of device. And then Jigsaw's voice comes on and basically says, You know, you have to confess your sins or you're going to die. And then, you know, it follows through the usual Saw formula where someone dies in the opening and then there's a few left. And then, you know, the movie just sort of picks the people off as, the, as it's going along. And, you know, Jigsaw's trying to, like, deliver some sort of moral message. Um, Tobin Bill um, from the other saw movies does return in, in some ways as jigsaw. Uh, I did feel like this one was more like a terrible escape room than a saw movie. Like it felt like, yeah, it felt like just this these and I don't I don't remember the other saw movies that much, but I don't feel like they were escape room movies. No. I think maybe saw two might have been. And I think one of the other ones might have been a group of people in a situation that had to kind of figure their own way out. But I don't feel like all of the movies were like that. But this one, especially having recently seen Escape Room, the uh, horror movie, um, this very much felt like that, like a like a deadly escape room. Um, didn't care much for. Many of the, any of the characters really in this, um, aside from one of them named Anne, played by Laura Vandervoort, who um, was a Supergirl in Smallville and most recently was in the uh, Soska Sisters Rabbit movie. Mm. Um, she was somewhat entertaining, as well as um, Melvin ba- Van Peeble, or Mario Van Peeble's son, uh, Mandela Van Peebles, um, playing uh, Mitch, the token black guy. Um, but um, also involved is Callum Creeth Rennie um, very famous Canadian actor he played Billy Talent in Hardcore Logo and um, he most recently was on Jessica Jones love this guy, I've always loved him um, he's another one of these guys that like elevates any movie he's in but I was like dude really you're in a Saw movie And it just really struck me as being weird um, and he's his uh, cop and who's on the trail of you know Jigsaw his partner is played by Clay Bennett, um, pretty solid uh, actor. Um, you might know him as, and I, and I know him as well, but you might know him most recently um, he played the leader of the gang in *Treed Murray, which I know you. Oh, talked yeah, to. yeah, that was a yeah. that was
1: a good movie.
0: Yeah. Um, and then there's a coroner involved, and his um, kind of hot gothy uh, assistant named Eleanor. But <laughs> here's the thing, like this movie, like. Okay, first of all, they had made a conscious effort to tone down the violence. Like, you're making a fucking Saw movie. Like, what are you doing? So they wanted to tone it down to make it more claustrophobic, is what I've heard about this. Like, that's not the point here. (laughs) And, okay, the other thing about this movie is that all the other Saw movies I felt like were pretty clever. Like, I really did like that about them, especially when you kind of see how everything kind of fits together in those movies. I know you stopped at like three, I think
1: four was the last one I watched,
0: but the latter, the last four after that, like they got really complex, but I thought they were actually pretty clever the way it all kind of worked out. And that's probably because they had the same writers on all those four movies, this movie completely new writers. And the way that this one plays out, I was just like, fuck off. Like it was really, really lame plus the lead kind of um i'm not again i'm not going to reveal which character is but one of the characters who um ends up playing into like the whole reveal oh fuck i hated this guy so much i hated him (laughs) so like it was just one of those actors that i just was like felt like he should have been on like he just felt like a bad TV actor that had no right to be starring in this movie, and um, with Callum Keith Rennie in this, I am assuming this was probably shot in Canada, and it was probably like a Canadian content thing that maybe got him in. This. I don't know why, but it just really felt like, oh my god, like this guy is so terrible. Sorry, dude, but I mean, yeah, it, would, it just really ruined the movie for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, even the traps were like were not nearly like what I'm kinda used to. So it just felt like like everything was kind of misguided in this. Like, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do this, which they did, they should have brought back those writers who did the last four. Like at least they would have been able to come up with a probably a more compelling storyline. And fuck man, make it R rated for God's sake. Like what are you doing? So I can see why this didn't work. Like this kind of bombed. No one really talked about it. Like it didn't bring back the franchise as a, as they kind of hoped it would. Um, I did hear Chris Rock of all people is doing a new Saw movie. Yep. I think, yep. which I'm kind of like it's kind of like the final destination movies like the saw movies i think they're kind of like i always have fun watching both those franchises and i think they're pretty clever in the kills right like we don't really have that anymore and except for these these kind of movies um but even the final destination movies like i can't tell you this well part four was the best because of blah 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 it's just like oh which one had that tanning bad sequence or whatever right like you're remembering the sequences and that's that's how the saw movies work for me so if you're gonna make a new one you better make good sequences and this one didn't have them it just yeah this was just kind of failed on all levels i mean i think if you're a fan of the franchise you might as well watch it it's on netflix right which i did but um yeah it just kind of made me be like okay we should have just let it go with the final chapter there um yeah so probably why final destination movies haven't come back either right
1: just another fucking horror series that decides to say the final chapter psych we lied
0: <laughs> yeah and i would have been okay with it if they had like brought Bowsman
1: back as the director or he's something, back right? for the chris rock one
0: yeah so that, that makes me a little more curious i mean i do like these i do i i'm okay with them making more but don't make them shitty like this one like this was just a disappointment
1: Well, apparently their Winchester's also not very good, so who knows? Yeah. And I wasn't a big fan of Undead, to be honest with you, so maybe they're like, uh, I don't know if they're a one-hit wonder, because Daybreakers was actually pretty damn good, so uh, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I haven't uh, seen Undead, yeah.
1: But um, the new one is Bowsman's back for the new one, and it's Chris Rock, and it's Samuel Jackson, so you'll at least have Samuel just be like, Motherfucking Jigsaw, come on out here, or something, you know? At least you'll have that.
0: Well, I feel like Bowsman at least understands the franchise. Yeah. And James Wan and um, Lee Whannell obviously do. And those writers that did those other four obviously do. So I just think you need that crew back or parts of it. So it sounds like that might... So, yeah, I'm still still looking forward to it. But, uh, I mean, I could... Yeah, this one you can kind of take it or leave it. I If I was going to marathon the series, I would leave this one out. All Let's right. put it that way.
1: Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> how do i follow up that well i guess i'll talk about my the only newer movie that i watched and it's a it's a 2018 film it's a it's a it's a shifting of gears from dr sleep and jigsaw 100 percent because it's a movie called wild rose from 2018 it's a uh british production uh about a uh a girl, call, a woman called Rose Lynn, played by Jesse Buckley, who you might know from uh, she's in Chernobyl. She mm. plays the character Lydmila. I don't know if that means anything to you. No.
0: She's a she's a, she's
1: she probably has red hair in the in that show because she's a. She's a redheaded lassie, um, and she was also in Judy last year with Renee Zellweger. But um, what's interesting about her is that she was a uh, she was on a British like a BBC talent kind of competition in 2008, kind of like an American Idol kind of thing, where she was the runner up. And she's also like very classically trained in instruments and and part of an orchestra, and she's like a very a vocalist and everything, which which fits into this movie because in this movie she plays a character called Rose Lynn who in the opening scene she's getting out of jail so she's been in jail for a year for you know getting caught trying to smuggle heroin basically and um she comes home and her mom played by julie walters who is one of those classic you know british actresses that everyone has seen in something um she's like the mom who's been looking after her two young kids for the year she's been in prison and is just really upset with with her daughter and be like, you know, you got to get your shit together, basically. Like you're in jail for a year. I've been looking after your kids. You have no relationship with your kids. You're a fuck up. Basically, you've got an ankle bracelet on. Get your shit together. Right. Um, so, you know, but but, you know, Rosalind's got this big dream. She wants to go to Nashville and become a country music singer, basically. So she's like, this is my dream. I don't fucking care that i went to jail my kids aren't gonna get in the way i'm getting to nashville this is just what's gonna happen so from there she kind of gets a job with this like wealthy woman played by sophie okanito who's in uh, uh the british tv series the slap mostly which is a uh, uh if, you've, if you know the book, it's an interesting show. I've, I think I talked about it when I talked about um, Blow the Man Down last episode, because the one of the leads in that was in that series as well. Um, so she gets a job with her as like a, a housekeeper or whatever, and kind of, you know, it comes out that she's, you know, into becoming a music star, like she wants to be in country music industry or whatever, and they hear her singing, and from there, they're kind of like, we're going to help you reach your goal. And the rest of the movie is just kind of her struggling with does she want to pursue her dream of being a country singer? Does she want to be a good parent? Is does her mom hate her? You know, am I a fuck up kind of thing? And and you know, it just kind of follows that arc. And in that way, the arc of the story is very formula. Like it doesn't really stray too far from the the thing that's set in all these kind of movies, like the 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 fuck up character who is has ambition and doesn't know how to chant, like capture that ambition. What's going to happen to them? So it kind of follows that arc. But the thing about this movie is um, the lead Buckley. She's fucking electric in this movie, dude. Like she's like you can't take your eyes off her. She's just so good in the role, and she's got just an amazing vocal ability. Like, I'm not into country music particularly, but when she's singing the songs in this movie, I'm just like, holy shit, this girl knows how to sing. (laughs) So, like, she is so good in this movie that I was willing to forget about the fact that the story itself was very standard stuff. Like, doesn't really take that many chances. I mean, Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't do that thing where it feels like it needs to end on a happy ending particularly which i appreciated but doesn't stray too far from a formula you've seen in these kind of movies like i like this way better than like a star is born mm. with lady gaga and that was fucking nominated for best picture and i did not like that movie this is a similar kind of story arc but works way better because it's a smaller movie i think that uh, jesse buckley's got the same talent level as a vocalist as lady gaga does because even though i don't really care for lady gaga's music or her the acting choices she's made i'm fully willing to admit i think she has a very very good voice like she's a very good singer too like when you saw her on the oscars doing like i think it was like tony bennett or something like that like she has ability she just chooses to do pop songs right i think this girl has just as is just as talented as on that level and um i thought julie walters was really good as the bitchy mom but the bitchy mom who had a point like yeah my daughter's a fuck up i don't want you know take care of your kids don't be stupid i i just thought it was a really well done movie that rises above a fairly standard plot and that's mostly because of buckley like i really couldn't tear my eyes off of her through this movie and she, that's thats a sign of someone who's going to go places and I really hope she does because yeah she was really good in this dude like that's a breakout performance for me I think cool I mean, I, mean it's, it's, it, I, I like movies that are set in the music industry with people who have those kind of dreams just because I'm so into music and it doesn't matter what kind of music I'm just like I want to watch movies of people succeeding in this industry which is so rare these days right and uh, again like aloha bobby and rose when she does visit nashville in this movie it's like a sightseeing trip and you know and i've i've kind of always wanted to go to nashville just because you know i appreciate the classics of that genre of music like you know the the dolly partons the kenny rogers the johnny cashes and stuff and just that environment just looks really cool to me so i was glad to see that stuff in this just like how i was glad to see the hollywood stuff in aloha bobby and rose so yeah if you're looking for like a kind of middle of the road plot wise drama drama kind of musical thing but with a fucking killer lead performance then wild rose is available on prime so if that's kind of your bag check it out why not so yeah cool
0: all right um well let's go into some more standard horror fare again
1: yeah let's go back to uh, horror after i talked about a musical drama let's do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> i decided to revisit a movie that i just uh, never really got behind i know you really like it but um uh never really got behind it and that's um candy from 1992 okay. um directed by bernard rose who um did a movie called Immortal Beloved*, which I really liked. But
1: uh, you also did *Paper um, House*, which is really good.
0: Yeah, and a new Frankenstein, which I haven't seen. But uh, um, anyway, um, so I had I had some memories of this movie for sure. And as the movie was playing out, I certainly noticed how, after only seeing this once 28 years ago, is that that long? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, (laughs) As it was playing, because I literally only saw it once, um, I remembered things that were going to happen, like, and images very vividly. So, obviously, this thing did a fantastic job of that. Um, So, um, particularly, like, there were some scenes of graffiti that were very striking, um there was of course the Cabrini Green projects in uh, Chicago which were infamous for their gang activity and uh, horrible like a very very scary uh housing project to go into and i remembered that very vividly and i mean the place is fucking terrifying looking and it's gone now but um, if you just look up p- pictures of Cabrini Green on the uh internet you'll know what i'm talking about I remembered scenes of, um, I remembered uh, Vir- um, Virginia Madsen, um, you know, with covered in blood. Scenes of that, um, but th- those are kind of the main things. But um, I didn't remember the Philip Glass score, which is as it was playing. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty pretty great. Although it it's, does repeat a lot. Mm-hmm. It's killer, but it's repeated so much through this movie that uh, it was a little little overkill. Um, so the story is based on a Clive Barker story. Um, it's also based on an urban legend, the Bloody Mary urban legend, where you look in the mirror and say Bloody Mary or Candyman five times and um, something comes and gets you. So I always thought that was a very scary premise. Um, I've never been able to do it in my life, um, either of those words. Um Virginia Madsen and her and Cassie Lemons um, play a co- pair of college students who are basically doing a uh, thesis on urban legends. They find out about this Candyman killer, who's uh, um, an urban legend in in the black community that um, is offing people. Uh, so they start to investigate it, and um, of course say Candyman five times in the in the mirror. Uh, they go to the housing projects, explore there, they find out about this guy who in the past had, had you know, been wronged and has now come back as the candy man. Um, Madsen becomes particularly obsessed with the case. Uh, keeps going back to the housing projects. Gets herself into some trouble with the gangs. Befriends a little kid. Befriends one of the neighbors, and um, eventually runs into the Candyman, who ends up starting to kind of frame her, make her look crazy to those around her, make her in the middle of a couple of murders, and um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a it's it's a well-paced movie. It's definitely not a slasher. It's uh, more of an adult horror movie. Um, I, I like I said, very very striking imagery. Um, um, that that location is just fantastic. They actually shot in this, the Cabrini Green projects in Chicago, which were, like I said, very very terrifying. And uh, so a lot of the set deck was there. Um, so very very smart choice to do that. Um, I think that's what's put this into such high regard. Um, Xander Berkeley, (laughs) does this guy ever play a nice guy? Like, honestly, I've never seen him play a nice guy. He's always a kind of a douchebag. He plays Virginia Madsen's um, husband, uh, who's, of course, cheating on her. Uh, Ted Raimi shows up for a few minutes. Um, The art direction's fantastic. But Tony Todd is Candyman. Okay, so all I could think of <laughs> all I could think of was Billy Zane and Demon Knight. You know when Billy Zane and Demon Knight would do the like things where you got into your head and would like you know, he'd he'd like be talking to the character in that kind of sexy voice? that's what I was thinking of and it was like Billy Zane doesn't so cheesy in demon night that whenever I heard Tony Todd say come to me I'm you know <laughs> you we're meant to be together I was like oh my god this is so cheesy so I think for the a,
1: sweet <laughs> oh,
0: I think that's why I had a problem with this movie from the beginning and I know he's a horror icon but I think he's what brings this movie down to be frank like I just found the scenes where he shows up were kind of ridiculous um, unless he's like killing someone with his hook but when he's like seducing Virginia Madison which is a lot of what this plot is I just didn't really like it I and uh, it just kind of took me out of it um, I mean it's it's cool like I thought it was good and all that but I, I just uh, yeah I just can't I can't I can't really say that I love this movie at all like um, i th- I was hoping that well, this is one that you know when I was twenty, I was maybe like looking for a slasher movie and it didn't deliver. maybe that's why I didn't like it and now that I'm older and wiser, maybe i'd I'd be into it, but no i'm I'm still not that that into it. I mean i I get that it's well done, but um I just can't see it being one that I'll go back to over and over. So I know you love this movie mm-hmm. so why?
1: well. You hit a lot of it. It's the the production design of this movie. Like yeah. that being in that projects is very imposing yeah. and very like scary. And then the Candyman stuff, I, I don't have an issue with Tony Todd as Candyman. Like because I get what they were kind of going for because his tortured past that they put in this movie, I thought was really like a lot of times I think in these kind of movies, the backstory of your villain is not that well done and i thought the backstory for Candyman was actually pretty well done in this like how they explained his background as like a slave and you know all that kind of stuff like why the bees play into the story later in the movie and Mm -hmm. all that stuff i really liked that urban legend like i thought that was a very well established urban legend because usually it's just like oh yeah people are making out There's a hook on the car door. You know, usually the urban legends are fairly like standard, not really well thought out. Whereas in this, I thought that it was all that stuff was really well thought out. I really at the time had a huge crush on Virginia Madsen when this movie came out. Yeah, because I had seen like Electric Dreams and Gothic. I think it's Gothic or Gotham. I think it's Gotham. It's with uh, Tommy Lee Jones in her. And Mm -hmm. I was really into her as an actress. And I thought she was super hot. And, you know, and I thought this was actually a good role for her because i was like okay now i can see her in a different light as an actor right and i just like i said the production design is outstanding the score is outstanding very super well directed super fast paced i just think it's like i just think it's like for the 90s when things were getting a little bit dull this was different and that's i think why i love this movie for the decade it came out in i think and I, I mean, I even kind of like the sequel. Like, I I like Farewell to the Flesh too. Like, I think that I think in Farewell for the Flesh has a lot is a lot more moodier because of its setting. Because I think in the sequel they went to New Orleans, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Candyman in New Orleans. So I think that's a putting him in a, maybe like maybe you'll like the sequel. I don't know because it feels like Candyman. It's a might be a better fit in New Orleans. I don't know.
0: But I've seen I mean, the sequel too. I do remember seeing the sequel. I just remember him standing by a river with the bees or something. But uh, I mean, I, 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 it's a weird one, right? Because I didn't hate yeah. it. I definitely don't. I'm not going to say this was a shitty movie by any well, yeah. stretch. I think if Tony, I think Tony Todd took me out of it a little bit, um, but I, it is very striking and memorable mm-hmm. and well made. Like there's nothing really bad to say about it um other than him <laughs> and i really liked virginia madsen as well you know if anyone can look great covered in blood it's her and um or having a bath and not not and it'd be super <laughs> unpleasant uh, yeah. it's her xander berkeley was great um i thought uh Kelsey lemons as a friend was really good she went on to direct eve's bio yeah. speaking of uh southern shot movies and she was also in silence of the lambs um but yeah and carolyn lower special mention to carolyn lowery who played uh zanderberg he's uh, mistress um <coughs> who played up in the final scene there she was uh if you want to see more of her <laughs> uh watch a movie called vicious circles um but i uh yeah i don't know man i mean it's it's an interesting one i mean yeah, just that location. Wow, It's fucking crazy. Like I looked yeah. it up afterwards, and uh, what a nutty place that was. Like holy shit.
1: I mean, because you're watching that, and you're like, shit, I don't need Candyman to show up. I'm already scared shitless from where they are.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I kind of, I kind of dug that part. I just, yeah, I just wish he was a little more menacing. Like I, uh, yeah, like I felt like he really never really stalked anyone or anything. He just would pop up and
1: like gut someone. And he didn't need to, man. He's Candyman. I I, I also like the fact that they kind of blended in the Bloody Mary stuff because I remember when we were kids the Bloody Mary thing was a thing for us too right like and they've never really I don't feel like they've really ever cashed in on that urban legend either like they made some movies called Bloody Mary that were awful Mm -hmm. and then the only other time I feel like Bloody Mary has been effectively used in a horror movie is probably Paranormal Activity 3 I believe it was part three when they had the scene where they were doing it in the bathroom, and then shit went on in the next room, and like while they were looking through the the crack in the right. door, yeah, yeah like yeah, I yeah. I thought that was a super super effective use of that, and mm. I hadn't seen like I, only that and probably this is the one that's used that urban myth to a, a decent advantage. I feel right because it's it's got such potential, right, and it's never been really cashed in on. No, totally. Like, I feel like Candyman and, and Paranormal 3 did. But, uh, yeah, I think the thing is, too, when this came out, this was a lot classier than the shit I was watching. So that's probably why it made a, a much bigger impression on me, I feel. Because, like, in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of... Well, it definitely made an impression. There's no yeah. question about that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I that's... mean, I even know the graffiti you're talking about. Like, yeah. I, You're talking about, like, the mouth stuff and all that. Like, super... Yeah. Yeah. super memorable stuff like yeah. the production design's amazing yeah it is it's all yeah. amazing okay so Candyman Candy and the Screen Scream
0: Factory put out a really great disc of that and uh, I watched it again I watched the theatrical cut there's two cuts oh, okay. and a shit ton of extras on that the uh, collector's edition they put out
1: I was about to say Candyman five times but I don't think I will <laughs> no please don't <laughs> <laughs> all right so um, my next one's a weird one it's it's a movie I remember seeing on VHS back in the day, and it's a it's a curious effort because it's um it's the only directorial effort by Martin Sheen. It co it co stars his sons Charlie Sheen and Ramon Estevez. It's set in 1965 Montana, and it's a movie called Cadence from 1990. Yeah that's just a really odd movie in the sense that so so sheen plays a vietnam veteran or i guess he's he returns from vietnam after his father dies and he gets himself like into trouble like he goes to a bar gets into a fight gets drunk is just doesn't fucking care and he ends up getting like you know he's he's actually you know in germany at one time and he wants and he wants these eight ball tattoos on his hands and then he makes this drunken leap through a freaking window at a bar and gets all this glass embedded in his head and he's just he's just a mess right because he's lost his dad and his dad was like this big influence on him and he ends up getting sentenced to 90 days in this military stockade which is run by Martin Sheen after he hits a, a military police, uh, and so Martin Sheen is the sergeant of this stockade, and he's your typical gruff sergeant who's like, yeah, you're just gonna behave, and you know this is what you're gonna do. And it turns out that all of his co-prisoners in this stockade are all all African American guys, led by um, Stokes played by Lawrence Fishburne, who's like mm-hmm. kind of the self-appointed leader. And it just becomes like this um, kind of struggle of this power struggle between Sheen's character who has a hate on for Charlie Sheen's character, who at first is like super rebellious and doesn't give a fuck. And then, you know, eventually the the his black co-prisoners are like, you know, you got to chill out and we're going to help you out in this situation we're all in and. It kind of has this very slender message about 60s racism going on, and it's got this really weird kind of father-son dynamic going on, which makes sense since it's directed by a father so, directed by a father whose son is the lead. So it's kind of a weird parallel that when you're watching, you're like, "This is fucking weird that like mm. Sheen's character's got this hate on for." like Martin Sheen's character has this hate on for Charlie Sheen's character who's his son in real life and Mm. he's upset at Sheen's character because he has a bad relationship like Martin Sheen's character has a bad relationship with his son so he's taking it out on Charlie Sheen (laughs) and I'm like it's just this weird like I lost track I'm like this is very odd like Mm -hmm. very odd casting and all that stuff but um there was a lot of stuff actually in this I liked like There's a part where they're doing, like, a a march to go work on this farm where there's this windmill that they break into, like, almost, like, um, gospel-y, like, chain gang songs. Like, all the black prisoners. And I'm like, this is great stuff. Like, it's just, like, they're singing a song about working on the chain gang, kind of. Like, that's the sound of the chains working on the chain gang. And I'm like, this is great shit, like, right here. Like, the movie theme's kind of low budget for the most part but when Fishburne's leading all the guys to this i'm like shit man this is why lawrence fishburn's a great fucking actor right here like all this stuff is great and then there's another scene later when they're they're building camaraderie um where they're playing basketball and they're bonding through a basketball game that was really well done but then there's like stuff in here too that's just really like apart from that father-son dynamic that's weird there's just the scene with with Sheen Martin Sheen's character getting drunk in the officers like the officer's lounge right. that just goes on too long and has him being all angsty that doesn't fit with the rest of the movie particularly. And then like his arch as a character is not that entirely successful anyway. And I was like, okay, you're trying to make a message about racism in the sixties, but you're not really hitting that mark particularly you're you're making it more about hating martin sheen hating charlie sheen's character when it should be more about martin sheen's character hating the black prisoners in a way right like you know what i mean like that's what it should have been more of a focus on and then the finale just feels super forced with the way that you know sheen's character kind of goes like fucking apocalypse now crazy by the end, mm. like Mark Jean's character, and it just didn't feel right. But but generally, I thought it was a pretty solid, low-budget Canadian-US co-production, but I just felt it, it, it made wrong moves, kind of like Felon, in a way, right. where it... it the first 45 minutes of this, I'm like, I'm liking what this is doing. And then there's a few missteps in the last half that I'm like, okay, you've kind of canceled out what you were doing earlier. Um, so not completely successful in that sense. And I did want a hell of a lot more of, of uh, Lawrence Fishburne and those fucking soul marches. Cause that stuff was, was really great. But uh, if you're, if you want to, if you want to see a curio from 1990, like this, then yeah, by all means, you should watch Cadence. It's kind of hard to come by. Like I think mm-hmm. the DVD's out of print. But, I mean, if you want to see Charlie Sheen trying to pull a serious rollout while being directed by his dad, who seems to have father-son issues, then by all means, see this, because it's, it's, a, it's a curiosity for sure, I think. Mm, you ever yeah. seen this?
0: No, I've always been kind of... I remember it being on the video yeah. store shelves,
1: and I don't know what...
0: Um, I always... I loved Officer and a Gentleman, and I always felt yeah. like this wouldn't measure up or something.
1: Oh, it probably doesn't. I've never seen Officer and a Gentleman, but yeah. I, I can pretty much guarantee you it won't measure up because it's such a low-budget production. But there's some interesting stuff in it, and it's it's definitely it's definitely one that when. I didn't remember a lot about it when I watched it, rewatched it recently, but when I was watching, I was like, okay, yeah. Okay. I remember why I kind of liked this when I originally saw it on VHS. So, you know, it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a definitely a curio, I think. Cool. So that's cadence. Nice. All
0: right, let's wrap up the uh, street fighter series with the uh, street fighters. Last revenge from 1974. Um, Again, again directed by shigehiro ozawa um okay so this is um i felt like sunny chiba this is the last of the series i felt like this is the one where he was i thought the most confident um but it was different than the other two this one felt more like uh you know double o street fighter or something where they were trying to put him in a bond setting you know, they were giving him like cool, like a cool apartment with like sliding doors. And he had, he was dressed up in a tux part of the time and bedding women throughout. And it just felt, yeah, you know, like the, the cool black outfit he was wearing in the other two, not there. So I don't know what they were doing with this you one. You put your but...
1: bond in my Street Fighter. <laughs> exactly. Like you put your chocolate in my peanut butter. <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> um,
0: Okay, so on the Show Factory Blu-ray of this one, there's two choices: there's a Japanese cut or the dubbed American cut. I went with the Japanese cut on this one just because I knew it had four more minutes of uh, violence. Um, so you know the the cool Street Fighter Waka Waka theme song comes on, and I was pretty stoked and. Um, you know, it has its usual, like, good, cool opening sequence, and there's, like, this uh, woman, uh, Street Fighter gets in a fight with this cool woman, but again, we've seen her before, Etsuko uh, Shihomi, who was um, in the first Street Fighter, and, of course, went on to become sister Street Fighter. So, um, that's that was a pretty great scene, but, um, again, I'm kind of like, oh, well, that's why, because they were setting it up for her um, her series that was going to follow this. Um, there's something over a black uh, a tape that's like blackmailing um, like these this these lawyers and um, we just kind of like the plot was kind of kind of stupid and there were way too many people involved and there was way too much of it. There was way too much talking about these tapes and talking about this blackmail and not enough of Sonny Chiva kicking ass. Um, there was some weird Dracula stuff thrown in, which like made this even more random than it already was. They introduced this Mexican um, occult character. Um, so this like white guy in a giant sombrero that was going that was kind of chasing after Sunny Chiba, so they were trying to make it again, I think that was a kind of a weird attempt at making a Bond villain into a Street Fighter movie. Um, and there's this uh, lawyer named Kunigawi who is like a real badass um, um a martial artist but i'm like why would you make him a lawyer like why isn't he just a fucking assassin and start to get Sunny chiba like um but they were they were tying him into this blackmail plot so um i hate to say it but i almost feel like there was just too much they were trying too hard to make plot and make make chiba bond that they they just kind of got away from just him being this badass is going around like fucking everyone up um so i thought this was the weakest of the series um we had kind of the femme fatale played by Rico Rico at EK. Um, she had quite a career in, um, in the kind of pinky violence movie. She was in, uh, sex and fury. She was in, um, a bunch of the girl boss films. Um, yeah. And I mean, there was a cool fight in a the junkyard. There was a cool, the end fight. There was a cool fight, in the rain, but overall this was like less fighting, more talking. And, uh, it was too bad. I just kind of wish this went out on more of a high note, but uh, but um, I'm probably not one I'm going to be going back to very much. Um, uh, Ek has a number of nude scenes. Uh, Koji Wadu, you'd probably recognize. She was he was in a bunch of the um, Delinquent Girl movies as well. Um, but aside from those kind of weird things like the occult guy and the Dracula stuff and some of the some of the gore um probably not worth checking out so yeah that's street fighters last revenge um so yeah overall the series like i just kind of felt like i feel like it's got like all the all of them have moments but overall they're just uh they're they're cool i mean i'm glad they're around and i always think of them when i you know i always think of true romance when i watch the street fighters movies because i think um Slater's character always takes or, sorry, takes British Arquette to a Street Fighter uh, marathon in that movie, if you remember that, but um, I always think of Street Fighter and True Romance is kind of one and the same. Um, But yeah, Return of the Street Fighter definitely the best of the three, followed by the first one, and then this one would come in last. I'd still recommend picking up the set, though. I mean, Sonny Chippo was pretty awesome, and uh, and... um, yeah, but I, these just aren't as cool as I remember.
1: Yeah, if I I was looking into it, and it's weird that all three of these movies came out in 1974. Yeah, I think he made five movies a year. And the first two sister Street Fighters came out in 74, too. So yeah. they were they were busy at the time. So They were. Maybe because they were cranking these out so much, they were like, oh, I don't know what to do for this third one. <laughs> maybe that's what happened. I mean, I have this set, too. I'll, I'll eventually visit it. But uh sounds like the second one's the way to go for sure. Yeah, definitely. Because, you, you know, I'm not a huge uh, Bond-like fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't even make it through the real James Bond movies. So I don't know how I would fare with a, with a Hong Kong movie to knock off with some martial arts. <laughs>
0: well, I just I just don't want just don't want to see Sunday Chiva walking around in a fucking tux like it just felt weird. There was one really cool scene though that did remind me of like it was kind of a Bond scene where he's like working out. He's doing like uh like he's got his legs up in this thing and he's doing like sit ups. And then the phone rings and instead of like just jumping down and like answering the phone, he like walks over to the phone on his hands. And then kicks the phone and flips and grabs it in his hand at the yeah. same time. That was pretty awesome. I think I remember seeing that. <laughs> that was pretty badass. So, but yeah, he's just gotta have that black outfit in a Street Fighter movie, not a tux.
1: All right. So, how do I follow up Street Fighter, the third Street Fighter movie? I know how I followed up, Josh. I followed up with a body switch comedy. Why not? Let's do it. Let's let's body <laughs> switch comedy. So, <laughs> in the in the late '80s, this was a trend. You remember vice yeah. versa. You remember vice versa with the uh, with J- Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. You remember '18 again with with George Burns. You remember those. Yeah. Do you remember like Father Like Son from 1987? Because that's what I watched. <laughs> so, oh,
0: with Dudley Moore,
1: Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. Oh God, dude. So obviously, Kirk Cameron is now. Become quite a joke to us normies, I guess, with his uh, fanatical religion and his uh, his movie saving. Kurt Cameron saves Christmas as like one of the lowest rated movies on IMDb now, but at the time he was like a uh, kind of a teen sitcom star because he was on. I believe it was it Growing Pains. He was on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like one of the the teenage son on the show Growing Pains, which was a huge hit. So they're like, let's uh, transition him into movies. So they decided, what better way to transition him into movies than to make him co-star with Dudley Moore in a body switch comedy. And I'm like, okay, well, sure, if that's what you feel like you need to do, I'll watch it at least once. So I I decided to do so. And uh, yeah, results may vary. (laughs) Um, So this opens... With your typical mystical mumbo jumbo of a guy just like somehow stumbling his way through the desert, and you don't know why he's stumbling through the desert. He just is, and he collapses, and the the native guys from that area come and they drag him away, and they decide to uh, feed him this mystical liquid that makes him switch bodies with, with the guy who saved him, and he's like, "Whoa, what's happening? What's happening?" And then they decide to give him back. Give him, you know, give him the liquid again so they can switch back and he can be back in his normal body. And all of his injuries are miraculously healed and taken care of. So he won't feel any pain from his injuries. Well, it turns out this guy's an explorer who is uh, Dudley Moore's, I think he's Dudley Moore's dad or he's like the neighbor the crazy neighbor who lives across the street i was already kind of half paying attention by this point we're like <laughs> 10 minutes in i'm like okay so he's this adventurer from across the street and uh you know his uh he ends up like somehow dying and giving kirk cameron's character possession of this bottle of the liquid uh-oh so what happens what do you think happens josh what happens when he's got this magical liquid he drinks it well he accidentally puts it into his dad's bloody mary and his dad drinks it and when you make eye contact with the other person you switch bodies oh so (laughs) so we've got cameron with his sweet mullet sean astin who i've talked about numerous times this in recent episodes because of uh whitewater summer and uh icebreaker he plays the sarcastic best friend and dad Moore, dudley Moore, is a jaded heart surgeon who just wants to like you know have his son be successful instead of being a rebel um (laughs) dude it's hard to explain the plot of this even though it's not really much because i'm even getting confused looking at my notes about the plot of this movie which was co-written by Kirk's dad Lauren by the way So it was also <laughs> a, It was also a, uh, a A ploy by his dad who was probably His agent too to get him A mo- major motion picture oh, yeah. Big time Um, Oh hang on I'm looking at my notes and I realized That the guy who had the liquid was Sean Aston's character's uncle <laughs> That's <laughs> who he was Um, So Austin actually steals the serum From his uncle and it gets him more Drink so I was wrong about him dying But I was so confused that I didn't care. Actually, I think I just didn't care. I don't think I was confused. So we're supposed to believe that Dudley Moore, who's a trollish kind of unattractive guy. We're supposed to believe that when he's in his son's body, he would go on a shopping spree to buy young hipster clothes and also get women to hit on him in a bar. We're supposed to believe this because Kirk Cameron's, oh, Kirk Cameron's young personality has taken over stuffy Dudley Moore's personality. So it's basically Dudley Moore running around trying to be young going, Dad, Dad, where are you, Dad? I'm like, no, it's not working. And then you've got Kirk Cameron going to high school and being like, you, yeah, I know all the answers to this test and you guys, you shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. It's bad for you. I know these things. So it's Oh my god, dude. It's
0: Oh my it, god, man, like this sounds like awful.
1: It's basically set pieces of Cameron's of of Cameron's character being un, like hated and Moore's character being fucking juvenile with like with like set pieces where Moore in Kirk Cameron's body has to do a high school relay race which ends in disaster and kirk cameron's character in dudley moore's body having to do rounds at a hospital and obviously not knowing anything about being a doctor that's the kind of stuff they're trying to play for comedy in this it's
0: bad dude dude dudley moore playing like he's got a teenager inside himself just makes my blood boil like the it's, thought of it it makes pain. me want to like kill someone it's
1: fucking painful <laughs> oh my it God. painful i
0: can't stand him at the best of times and uh oh uh,
1: how but did I mean, he get
0: susan anton dude like how did that happen
1: <laughs> like like <laughs> honestly the only time i can think of dudley moore being like like i liked him was in arthur and that's it yeah no and like no. even in 10 like how did he get bo Derek? I don't know. <laughs> like, like he was like five foot two, and yeah. like he looked like at least thirty years older than he actually was. Like, how? He's just one of those actors I've just never understood. Like the appeal. Like, how did he become a star? Even <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but okay, so this is just a noisy mess of a movie. I didn't feel like moore or cameron tried to mimic each other at all in this movie they just were like moore's like i'm gonna be juvenile and kirk's like i'm gonna be serious and that's this <laughs> that's as much as we're supposed to believe they've switched bodies admittedly though sean astin's character was pretty fun i did was amused once or twice during this and at least at one moment in this song they do go to dudley moore's character I think it's Dudley Moore's character. I can't even remember which character it is. At least they go to an Autograph concert. Do you fucking remember the band Autograph, dude? Like Turn Up the Radio? Yeah, man. No way. They go to an Autograph concert in this movie. So really? that's, that's pretty cool. I think but, I've seen Autograph live. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like in the Turn Up the Radio days? They opened
0: for someone. I can't remember who they oh God.
1: That would be pretty cool, because I actually like that album, but that's just yeah, me. No, I've definitely seen them live. That's hilarious. Sign in, please, is the name of the <laughs> album. But, man, this is like three years after that autograph, so not quite as cool, but at least they're in the movie. But this is a shit show, dude. This is a fucking shit show. <laughs> yeah. like, like, wow, this is like trying so hard to be funny and failing it every fucking time and dudley moore i can't stand seeing dudley moore like putting on fucking like like fucking converse all-star shoes and popped collars and trying to hit on women i can't fucking handle it i just can't do it it's so poor oh my god like this makes vice versa look like a fucking comedy masterpiece this is a disaster it's okay, a
0: the thing, bizarre. the thing is, though, is I hate him so much. I hate both of them, <laughs> and I hate body switching movies. Yeah.
1: But for
0: some reason, I really want to see this now. <laughs> You're gonna get your chance. <laughs> <laughs> like I just kind of the way you've described it and the train wreck in my mind. I just need to. I kind. Of, I think I need to see it. Oh God, there it is. <laughs> oh, oh God. The, okay, so the cover. Christian showed me the cover. And it just, it like makes me want to like punch someone. Makes me want to like pound the wall. Looking at Dudley Moore's little face with his little fucking
1: bubble. Uh, Yeah, I just want to like fucking. Okay, okay. So the cover, (laughs) the tagline on the DVD box is Trading Places has never been funnier. Disagree. Um, The picture is Kirk Cameron in a suit and tie with a highway suit tie by the way he's got fucking if you i don't know if Josh could see it but there's fucking his his he's wearing flood pants on his oh, he totally that. is yeah like I do his, see that. his work his dress pants are up almost to his knees and then Dudley Moore who's supposed to be a high school senior has a baseball cap on and he's blowing a bubble gum bubble like he's fucking 4 years old is it cuz he's like
0: why why is why is he wearing flood pants? Is it because he's taller?
1: I yeah, because he's taller than Dudley Moore, I guess. But why but, wouldn't he just buy his own clothes? But why is Dudley Moore blowing a bubblegum bubble like he's oh, five? Gosh. Yeah. Oh my I God. don't get it. So basically this is a piece of shit. It's a shit show. Uh directed by Rod Daniel, who also directed Teen Wolf. Which wow. is an which is another <laughs> 80s movie. But the thing is Okay. People love Teen Wolf. We do not. No. I do not like Teen Wolf. You you. do not like Teen Wolf. Michael J. Fox's character in Teen Wolf is an asshole. Yeah. Through most of the movie. This is worse than Teen Wolf. I mean, I know Teen Wolf has fans, but this is worse than Teen Wolf. So once we get together and see each other in person you're gonna inherit this shit show <laughs> so oh, i I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to have movie. fucking fun buddy it's garbage <laughs> so like father like son avoid please <laughs> okay um okay you got one more right yes
0: okay. okay uh let's talk about uh I did watch a kino movie um oh, Jesus <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a movie based on an Alexander McLean novel. Okay. Usually Alexander McLean novels, I'm expecting a big action movie. Big, like, kind of quest movie or some shit. Anyway, this is a movie called Breakheart Pass from 1975. Um, directed by Tom Greese. Uh, probably best known for doing the Helter Skelter TV movie. TV miniseries. Uh, so this is, um, stars Charles Bronson. It's a western
1: Oh, I have uh, this.
0: Oh, do you? I just looked on my shelf and it's there. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> so Charles Bronson, it's a Western. Bronson plays a guy named John Deacon. He's um, this criminal who's um, kind of busted in this card game. He's brought onto a train with a bunch of military people that's heading for this fort um, where there's apparently a diphtheria outbreak. Um, and so the train's going there because the armies are going the army's going there to replace the soldiers that have fallen due to this outbreak fitting. Um, the soldiers are led by Ed Lauder. Um, along for the ride are like Ben Johnson as a US marshal, Bill McKinney from Deliverance as like a reverend, Jill Ireland of course is um, of course can't remember why she's she's there with ben johnson or no she's there with richard Crenna, who's a governor um so this movie starts out uh we also get in at the beginning of the movie where um the, the train pulls up to this like small town there's like uh, a lot of the guys are, some of the guys are getting off and going to see hookers one of which is played by a very young sally kirkland mm. um but the the um once the train gets going someone starts to kill people like there's a unknown assailant murdering people on the train so it's kind of like this weird mid-70s western slasher movie where like <laughs> people are getting off violently (laughs) by an unseen killer which i was like wow this is really cool right uh but it was a little slow i was kind of because again alexander Alexander McLean. i'm expecting an adventure movie which this is not this is like this is like murder on a train movie right um slasher on a train movie um and yeah i'm not going to reveal what happens but uh you know bronson does play a play a big role in kind of trying to figure out what's going on um, you also don't really know what's up with him because he's doing a lot of things where you're like what's he up to He's, he's seems like he's up to no good but is he like I don't know um, And Bronson's of course awesome at doing stuff like that um, really cool to see him and Ed Lauder together again because last time I saw them together was in Death Wish 3 um, and this is way much much earlier but they are a really great team in both movies um, Robert Tessier shows up he usually plays a, a thug in movies and uh, he's bald he's, he was in Sword in the Surgery he's been in tons of shit but he's um he's like this guy who's like kind of taken over the, like, the fork that they're on route to um, and he's got a giant beard which is if you know the actor it's he's usually bald with like no facial hair but it's just this bald guy with this giant beard it looks really bizarre and he's kind of cool looking um, the stunts in this are pretty great Great, the um, there's some like train wreckage in this and um, like some serious train wreckage and they didn't even use miniatures they just fucking wrecked trains which is pretty great But the big standout scene I wanted. I mean, there's a lot of like the the finale features a big battle between the like Indians and the train guys. And anyway, there is a lot of action, and this is what I'm getting at. But there's this one scene that I just wanted to talk about, which is featured on the cover, and that's a fight between Bronson and um, Archie Moore, who um, most well most people probably don't know who the fuck that is, but I, I remember him. He played Jim in the Huckleberry Finn movie but he's older but it's him and Bronson get into a fist fight on top of the train. And what's notable about this is that um the stunt doubles um like, it's a pretty great great scene, and it's, it's a pretty crazy stunt, as with a lot of 70s movies. But the stunt doubles were tr- Tony Brewbreaker, um, one of the best black stunt doubles around, and the other guy was Archie Moore, the guy that was doubling Bronson. And uh, not only is this a standout scene, but Archie Moore uh, went on to – well, he was probably best known for doing the jump off the cliff in Butch Cassidy. He doubled Paul Newman. And he um, ended up having a kind of a tragic skydiving death where he tried to save another skydiver and they both plummeted to their death. But the other notable thing about this sequence is that it was um, stunt coordinated by Yakima Knut, who, uh, if you know a lot about stuntmen, which, like me, uh, he was kind of the original. He was like the original gangsta stuntman. He's like double John Wayne for years and years and years. He did... He was the guy who did all the major stunts first. He did the first, like, horse to a car or horse to a wagon, like, jump. And he did the first, like, under a wagon thing. Like, all those things that you're used to. This is the f- crazy motherfucker that did all these things first. And this is the last movie Yakima Kunut uh, stunt coordinated. And he did go out with a bang, because that one sequence was pretty great. Uh, but I've, I've always loved this guy. I first learned about him when I was... Uh, what I used to watch a lot of making ofs, particularly making of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he was a big inspiration on a lot of the stunts in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, pretty cool to know that this was kind of his swan song. Um, but um, yeah, this is a fun little movie. I mean, I if you're expecting like um, a lot of the usual Bronsonisms, like this isn't Death Wish, and um, you know, parts of it are a little slow paced but I mean seriously, it's like a slasher movie on a train with a bunch of cool stunts and fucking cowboys and Indians at the end. It's pretty great. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I totally recommend picking this one okay. up.
1: I've been I've been kind of thinking about watching this off and yeah. on because of that cover image. Cover image this. is awesome, and that, but, uh, that fight is pretty great. It's like terror train pre terror train only with cowboys.
0: It really is. I'm like, wow, this is like super predated like so much right like i had some of the stuff was pretty fucked up too like some of the kills but um yeah it's, it's pretty cool so break hard pass
1: all right well for my final movie i decided also to revisit one that i remember loving as a kid just to see if it held up or all because i, I seem to be doing a lot of revisits and unlike like father like son which i kind of remember thinking wasn't terrible when I was young. This one I actually still kind of like, and it's a movie from 1983 called Eddie and the Cruisers, which was I released. Talk, yeah, and this was <laughs> this was released on uh, a recent, well, a little while ago on Blu-ray with uh, as a double feature with its 1989 sequel, Eddie and the Cruisers Two: Eddie Lives by Shout Factory. So I decided I'd finally crack it open and give it a go. Um, this. I was incorrect when I was talking about uh, Aloha, Bobby and Rose that Floyd Mutrix directed Lords of Flatbrush. Uh, It's actually the guy who directed Eddie and the Cruisers, Martin Davidson, who made Lords of Flatbrush. Mm. He's another guy who's one of those nostalgia merchants because he did Lords of Flatbrush. He did a movie called Almost Summer, which was set in the 60s. And he also did this, which a good chunk of this was was set in the uh, 60s as well. So I was incorrect and I'm correcting myself because I caught it during the same episode. Doesn't happen that often. Um, So 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 like Josh said, this opens with the on the dark side song by John Cafferty, which was a huge hit when this movie came out, huge, huge huge hit. Like this soundtrack to this movie probably made more money than the movie actually made in in box office receipts because it was such a huge song. So it actually opens with that song, of course, because why wouldn't it? And it's fo- it's footage of Eddie and the Cruisers playing on stage, singing On the Dark Side. Great song, actually. I, I quite like this song. I, I don't <laughs> know how you feel about it, but I think it's a pretty cool song. It's a good song. Um, so it opens with them performing, and then it kind of introduces us to Ellen Barkin playing this reporter who's telling of Eddie... And the Cruiser's history, where he's like, you know, they were the next they were supposed to be the next big thing in the 60s. And, you know, they were gaining steam. And then all of a sudden in 1964, after recording one of their albums, Eddie drove his car off of a bridge and and died. And but, you know, and the recording went missing. But she's like, I want to do an expose because I think he might still be alive. And I think I can find those tapes. So I'm going to go get them, you know? So she's like, I'm going to go investigate the tapes and find if Eddie truly does still live or whatever. So she heads back to the town where they were gaining steam and hooks up with, well, doesn't hook up with, this is like you and the, uh, he hooks up with his daughter kind of deal. (laughs) That's, that's not what happens. Um, meets up with Tom Berenger who used to be a member of the band back in the day who is now just a high school teacher who teaches English because he wrote all the lyrics for the band so he was the genius of the band when it came to lyrics so she meets up with him starts investigating the whole thing along the way we meet Joey Pantliano Joey Pants playing the former manager of the band who kind of wants to reunite the band with a lookalike lead singer and then it becomes kind of this like very mild mystery story because people start, someone starts trashing the homes of the former band members, kind of looking for the lost recordings. And then it's kind of just uh, peppered in with flashbacks to the band, you know, forming, writing the songs, becoming popular and stuff like that. And uh, I actually kind of enjoy this still. I, I think mm-hmm. it's a pretty decent little movie. Um, I thought Behringer's pretty solid even though to make him age 19 years it just basically consists of changing his hairstyle <laughs> um <laughs> I, michael Pyre is a guy who i'm not really i don't really care for him as an actor to be honest i don't i think he's not the best actor but he's a good looking guy and you know it's evident in this movie he's pretty good looking guy he's got the pompadour going on and he's actually pretty good in this like I thought his best role is Streets of Fire that he made the year after this. Mm. But he's he's pretty decent in this one, too. Um, you've got Helen Schneider who, playing Joanne, who's the only female member of the band. And she's quite an attractive girl to look at. And this is actually the only movie that she acted in, which I thought was really weird. I, I don't quite know where she went with her career, but I know that she was, by profession, she was a singer and a dancer. And I guess she was just in this movie because it fit in with the fact mm. that she was in a band. Um, but she's actually quite engaging in this, and and also you can't not not hard on the eyes, so that always helps. Um, yeah. And um, you know, I just I just thought it was a I thought the songs by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band were all pretty good. Um, I thought that the uh, I thought that Ellen Barkin as the reporter even though she's kind of in and out of the movie was pretty solid i mean i had only been really familiar with her in movies like like erotic kind of thrillers kind of like sea of love and um the big easy was she in the big easy is that the movie i'm thinking of no Passenger. oh that's is it okay well she was in a in sea of love with al pacino and then she was Maybe in a it couple is the of, big easy yeah i, I think it might have been the big easy but she's in she was in those kind of movies which you know got you know our, our teenage hearts a, a pumping our blood yeah, a pumpin'. she was
0: definitely something else she always yeah. was like oozing sexuality
1: yeah so in this movie it's more of a normal role for her and i actually thought she was pretty good in the limited time she had um i think davidson captures the 60s pretty well in this and the kind of music industry of the 60s and i, I like i thought it was decent but the problem is. I just thought that the whole mystery angle of the movie is trying to deliver was a little bit undercooked. Mm. Like I I was just like I was just like, okay, I like all the stuff about Eddie forming the band and their rise to fame and the reporter looking into it. But why did you have to throw in a mystery angle, right? Like why mm. do we need that? It's it's not necessary to the rest of the story. And then that mystery angle just really comes into play really heavily in the finale. And I thought it actually brought the movie down a little Mm. bit. Like I thought it was a much better movie when they were playing on the mystery angle. And the last scene of this movie is just pretty, pretty lame. And I don't want to really spoil what it is, but it's pretty lame. You'll know it when you get there. Mm. But generally speaking, it's a, it's a decent music drama mystery with decent performances, pretty fun songs, pretty good capture of the sixties. And I actually still quite like it, so I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the sequel because, admittedly, I liked the sequel more when I was younger, but right. I don't think it's gonna pan out that way this time. So yeah, and this is pre the substitute Tom Berenger, so you know pre sniper, <laughs> pre the substitute Berenger. This is when he was actually trying to be a real actor instead of just blowing the heads off of people or beating up inner city high school students. So it was nice to see him in a non-actiony type role and he was pretty good too so
0: pre-milk drinking turbulence 2 tom berenger is he in turbulence 2 i couldn't remember that
1: yeah
0: yeah. that's sad yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) eddie and the cruisers to turbulence 2 yeah it's it's pretty pretty big fall from grace (laughs) was there a song called tender years um i think
0: it's in this one yeah yeah i remember that uh yeah, I never – I got why Michael Parry never got fame, more famous. Like, I just can't – he's like Uwe Bowl's like, regular go-to yeah. guy, or he was. And I never understood that. I just – he always seemed like he should have been bigger, but
1: – Well, like, he's a he's – a, he was a, a really good-looking guy. Yeah. And I can see, like, the – like, I could see, like, women find – like, being – finding the appeal in him. But I just never found him to be a very – strong actor Like i always just felt he was just kind of a little more wooden than most of those other guys around that time yeah i mean he's perfectly serviceable in in eddie and the cruisers but he is overshadowed quite a bit by barkin and Behringer and the um helen schneider i mean she turns in a better performance than him and this was her only movie so i mean that could be why yeah. I mean, I don't dislike the guy. I just don't think he's like I didn't think he's leading man material, is what right. I'm trying to get at here. But perfectly serviceable, decent little music drama slash mystery. That, like I said, I am looking forward to watching the sequel, probably for next episode. Nice. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. So that's uh, Eddie and the Cruisers from 1983.
0: Maybe you should get on best of the best of the best too. By the way.
1: I think I probably should I've delayed it two episodes (laughs) now We'll see At least Eddie and the Cruisers There's only two of them At least I got I got This is four best of the best movies man (laughs) I'm getting there I'm getting there Josh's Beatrice Adventures
0: Okay I got a whole I got a whole bunch here That I uh, Had to pick from But um, (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) But I decided to go with uh, Replicator from 1998. Uh, Replicator. Replicator.
1: Oh my god, no. <laughs> Do you not know this repli- movie?
0: I think so. Okay, this is from 1998, directed by Brett McCormick. This is really hard to find. I don't even know if this ever got a DVD release, to be honest. Uh, um, I remember I got a screener for this way back in the day.
1: Oh my god. <laughs>
0: so, oh my God, yeah, that's it, that's the one.
1: Oh my God, so, do you have? this
0: <laughs> No. If <laughs> you, you heard of it, yes, definitely. Art- healing. So the go ahead.
1: The artwork is a is a girl in a bikini, holding a laser pistol, but instead of a girl head, it's an alligator head.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah it's an amazing cover so look that shit up (laughs) Um, but uh okay so the movie opens well it opens with brink stevens so again i'm not complaining um and it's it's it doesn't really make sense actually now that i'm thinking about it why that scene is even there but it opens brink stevens putting this like machine on this this like kind of tubby um dude's head and it's and basically it's supposed to like read his like fantasy thoughts so he, he she puts this machine on turns it on and then and then she pushes a button so she can see what he's seeing and of course the first thing he's seeing is Bridge steven's naked so i'm like okay and then it cuts to his next fantasy which is him coming home from the army and having a threesome with his wife and some other girl so I'm like, okay and then um then we get smash cut into a new scene with Gunnar hansen and Gunnar hansen of course Leatherface phrase from texas chainsaw massacre is in this like comedic scene where he's like explaining like some scientific mumbo-jumbo to this other general, General Mills. And I think Gunnar Hansen's character is... Is it Gunnar Hansen's character? Might be Colonel Sanders. Oh no! Um, Yeah, it's one of those. Um, But you know, there's a scene in that where Gunnar Hansen's character is a scientist and he's developed like X-ray specs because he saw them in the back of a comic book. And of course, he puts them on, and then this girl comes into the room, and of course, she's naked. Um, So it's that kind of movie. It's like very, very juvenile humor and (sighs) lots of nudity. And, um, anyway, so what we find out is that there's this replicator project going on, led by, uh, uh, this, this scientist whose name I didn't write down. And what it is, is it's supposed to, I guess, replicate things out of the fly, um, so what they do is they get a test subject there's also this competing doctor named Dr. Fields he's got this like mind control thing going on so we've got this one doctor who's doing like the replicating a love the fly we've got this other doctor who's doing mind control so the first doctor like decides to do a test on this machine on his machine so he gets this private to go through private warring puts her puts him through the machine and she changes into a woman he, cha- he changes into a woman <laughs> So then we've got this like super hot woman come out of the machine who is also a nymphomaniac, so who's like all over the doctor. Before you know it, other people are, other soldiers are going through the machine turning into nymphomaniac uh, um, women of course um, and including the uh the one of the uh scientific assistants who's got this make big mole on her face of course she goes through the machine the mole has gone she's now this beautiful woman in black lingerie so they're basically we've got all these like naked women running, running around like dry humping all the doc all the um scientists and then what eventually happens is when they have orgasms because they've gone through this machine it brings out their primordial (laughs) their primordial urges and basically this prehistoric orgasm turns (laughs) them into alligator women that are like out to like destroy the earth so um, and then when the alligator women bite someone they turn into a super annoying zombie (laughs) So this all sounds fantastic, but it is not. Uh, Now, there is so much nudity in this movie. Like I was even I was uncomfortable. Even I was like, really? Like because I was trying to watch this like um, kind of stealthily, but it was like (laughs) every time like. And, like, I just felt like I would never get five minutes without feeling like I had to, like, watch what was going on on screen just so, like, someone wouldn't walk in. Um, But, you know, I've I've, got to say, like, back in the day, I probably would have loved this, but it it did feel like almost too much. Uh, The alligator women were kind of cool, but um, basically um, they, like... (laughs) There's no bikini alligator with it, which is kind of what I was looking forward to, um, because I think what I think that was the intent, but then I think that they, <laughs> the alligator head that they had kicking around the the set, they was like a kind of a leftover, like prop from something else, and they couldn't fit it onto a adult human, <laughs> so the only person who could wear the alligator outfit was a like twelve year old kid, <laughs> so they. <laughs> So every time you see like the alligator monster all of a sudden like the clothes all go back on <laughs> um but I thought it was pretty funny like I mean I, I liked this back in the day when I watched it and uh I mean the humor is super juvenile um uh, but I did think, I did think it was a pretty funny premise, but it is, it is all taking place in like three locations and it was written five days. And it's like, you know, if you're like movies like Creepazoids and sorority bays and the slime ball and all that freddle and Ray and Jim Wynorski and David Dakota shit, you're going to probably enjoy this movie, but, uh, but just beware. It's misogynistic. It's way more nudity than I've, you know, than most of these movies. um, but it was still kind of fun, and uh, I thought the guy who played Doctor Fields, Randy Clower, was pretty great. But uh, never really been in much else. T.J. Myers, who played the mole, the the woman with the mole that ended up in the black lingerie, she's got all these like documentary like she's become quite prolific in like documentary stuff, like antique hunter and shit like that. So you can look her up, T.J. Myers, and and. Um, unfortunately a lot of the other women in this movie were uncredited so I have no idea who they are or what became of them but uh, and Brett McCormick it seems like he's now a writer He, he writes novels now he looks like he's given up his film career, but he made probably ten movies probably like this. Like, really, really low budget cheapies. But I used to love this stuff, and so did you. I mean, oh, back I in the day, we used to really like this stuff. And I, I did enjoy this when it came out. And uh, it's it's just a silly romp that's fucking harmless. But um, probably not going to stand up too well in today's world. But uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty ridiculous. And that cover is fucking awesome. So... But I don't think this ever. This is really hard to come by, I think. And uh, but I'm glad I still have
1: it. I I'm just picturing <laughs> I'm just picturing them like having a 12 year old in an alligator mask on set with all these naked women <laughs> walking <laughs> around. I'm just like
0: oh god dude it was so much like i'm just like why is it and it wasn't like it was just like totally unnecessary right like that's the thing like they weren't the in love scenes it was just it was just you know it was almost like i don't know i can't compare it to stuff like but it was just like it was just so random like it was just like and there would there'd be no rhyme or reason like one one minute it would be like there'd be like a like a bikini top on or a bra and then they cut and then it would cut cut to a different character then it would go back and then all of a sudden that would just be gone Mm. and then it would cut back and then it would be back on and you're like and it was just constant but I still thought it was uh, I still think this is a pretty funny movie I mean it's it's such a ridiculous premise and like the dialogue was really really stupid and like but like a lot of the the people in this were playing it pretty straight and uh, i think that's what made it pretty funny so i still i still kind of get a kick out of this it, one but uh, <laughs> i don't know if i'd recommend seeking it out
1: it, it, it's <clears throat> It's sad that when you were watching this, you were looking around like you're on fucking Pornhub or something. I really did. I (laughs) hope nobody walks in the room.
0: Who's gonna (laughs) walk by the window? Like, who's gonna? Like, what if someone looks in and I'm like, okay, because usually in a Fred Allen Ray movie, it's like you know you have one or two of those throughout the running time, but this one it was it felt like literally every five minutes something was (laughs) something
1: was going on. Someone sees you, you're like, it's (laughs) okay, it's just Replicator, don't worry. I'm. It's not, not what it looks like. I'm not really this perverted. It's okay.
0: <laughs> that's totally how I felt, man. And, you can't and explain just, that shit.
1: Just so you know, when you were when you were talking about, it, I did look up to see if it was released on DVD, and it was, but really? appar- but apparently, it's quite out of print. yeah like i I
0: literally almost i almost emailed the director last night because i'm like who are all these people like none of these actors like because i wrote down all the characters names none of these people are credited like i don't even know who played half the people
1: you know what so so strange i'm giving you a chore i want you to email the director i want you to find some stuff out
0: i need to know
1: (laughs) you should do it and then we can share the results on the on the next episode I think this is something we need to do. I think we need to do this for the good of all movie kind. I think it's very important.
0: If anyone Uh, needs to know who the redhead was in Replicator, I'll find out for you.
1: I think we need to have a Replicator resurrection. (laughs) We need to do this up. Maybe you can even get a DVD copy of it from the director. Who knows? Oh,
0: I don't know. It sounds like he's turned his back on his B-movie days. Oh, (laughs) come
1: on. You'll just be like, hey, man, I have this podcast, and we talked about Replicator, and now I need some info.
0: (laughs) I actually feel like I reviewed – I used to have this website, and uh, I feel like I reviewed Replicator back in the day, and I feel like he emailed me. But I'd ha- I'd have to look that up. Did he t- to
1: tell you thanks or to tell you off? No, to tell me thanks, because I think I gave it a favorable review. Oh man. <laughs> it says he directed thirteen things. He did. Wow. He did. That's crazy.
0: <laughs> and they all have funny titles,
1: so Oh let's see what he's got here. Let's hang on, we'll quickly <laughs> Oh, The Abomination. I know that movie. Oh, there you go. Highway to Hell. Making County War with friggin uh, what's his face there uh, uh, Dan Haggerty we got Armed for Action with Joe Estevez what else you got Blood on the Badge Children of Dracula Rumble in the Streets Biotech Warrior Time <laughs> Tracers The Protector and Replicator there you go well look the Protector is like Oh, it's like a terrible looking action movie with Lee Majors is in it though.
0: Nice. Yeah, no, I I I, I, I might seek out this guy's work.
1: Yeah. We should we should we should look into this, Josh. It's do an episode important. on him? Should we do this an episode is, on him? Brett McCormick, yeah, I'm sure that'll get a lot of lessons. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. <laughs> this, anyway. This, this means something
0: at the very least look up the uh, replicator uh, cover and um, yeah I mean it is a body switching movie sort of too so but it's just turning women and then I'm like are they like transsexual women like now that they because they've been turned into because it was a dude and it's anyway
1: I don't think in 1998 that would be a question that would be asked (laughs) Maybe nowadays, but not back then. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's Replicator for (laughs) you.
1: Josh's VHS Adventures. I couldn't even do the theme right because of that. I was thinking that that poster. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty rad. (laughs) All right, everybody, that's our that's our eighteen eighteen movie quest for glory. Here, we'll have some more Replicator news for you next time. but in the meantime, how about we get a, uh, a rating and review or go to our Facebook discussion group and tell us your replicator memories. You can search for GBW podcast on Twitter or Instagram. And most importantly, tell a friend about the show if you like what you hear. And most, most importantly, at these times, stay safe and stay inside. And let's get through this together. Anything else to add? Dude, Brink Stevens
0: and Gunnar Hansen were both in it. Come on, it can't be that bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good night,
1: everybody. (laughs) Bye.